The Protect Your Neck Podcast. Top five bantamweight battles with special guest Nick Kalikas. As per usual, we went deep, ladies and gentlemen. Strap in. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Savages, this is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom. Analyst is work you can find at MMAJunkie.com and five days a week on MMA Junkie Radio. But on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA, and that's what we're going to do here today, but in a slightly different way. Instead of a, a breakdown show, it, it, which we have so many this time of the year, it's always important to not get lost in the minutia and pay respects to our sport. So, of course, we always try to do our best to bring you top five episodes. That's what we're going to do here today for the top five Bantamweight battles. And of course, I always need help to unpack these shows. I always need at least one co-host. And in the spirit of 2018, which is not over yet, uh, of trying to bring on new guests and and expand this, this is a guy I've been wanting to get on for a while. I want to welcome MMAOddsBreaker.com's oddsmaker himself, Nick Kalikas, or maybe you know him on Twitter, at FightOdds. What's up, Nick? Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. It's a real honor to be on here with you. Uh, definitely, dude. Uh, same, same goes. Uh, you know, we, we we talked before this to peel back the curtain a bit, and uh, you know, MMA is a small community. You, you you get to know or at least get familiar at the very least of the people who are around, especially the people uh, who've been grinding and, and and really you know have been around um, as long as you. Something I I respect. Uh, uh, not only, you know, obviously uh, odds maker at a great site, MMA, uh, MMA oddsbreaker.com, but you've been around for a minute, man. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. What are you like 15 years deep? You've been, you've been involved in, uh, this fine sport of ours in some way, Nick, for the listeners that, that, that don't know. Yeah, probably a little bit longer, but as far as the odds making goes about 15 years, um, just, you know, setting UFC lines and beyond that with MMA in general, you know, like obviously Bellator cage warriors, even from way back when, um, you know, we were the first basically group to actually set lines on some of those European events as well outside of the UFC. So a lot of, yeah, a lot of history, a lot of stuff going on. Obviously the sports evolved quite a bit in that time, but yeah, even before that though, as far as my martial arts background, um, we had actually a radio show um, way back when as well, when uh, the internet just kind of first launched and we were covering some of the MMA aspect as well. It was called Pro Karate Weekly. Um, back then there was only obviously like Share Dog Radio, MMA Weekly had a show. There's only a couple people out there, and uh, that's kind of what got my introduction into um, getting a little bit deeper into MMA. Obviously back then you know times were a lot different, but yeah, from that it kind of evolved into the betting aspect of things for me as well. So I've been setting lines for about 15 years. That's awesome, man. And yeah, uh, you know, uh, p- p- part of our conversation was about uh, your involvement in traditional martial arts and, and, you know, the karate publication and whatnot. And, and that's another reason why, uh, why I dig you, my man. Uh, of course, listeners know that I, 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 I myself have a background as well in that. And uh, it's fun. It's, it's a nice gateway martial art because, you know, in one way or another, it seemed to have lead us into this uh, madness of the world called MMA, huh? Yeah, definitely. I mean, not exactly what I expected, you know, way back when I was doing Taekwondo or when I never thought I'd be making, you know, MMA, UFC odds down the road, you know, it just, eh, life <laughs> takes you definitely down some twists and turns, but oh, thankfully it worked out. I love what I do. So it's definitely pretty good. 
Yeah, man, no shit. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have thought so myself. Um, myself, man. I was just. I was just happy to be able to, you know, earn a earn, earn a rank, go up in rank, and you know, go see the whatever Jackie Chan Rumble in the Bronx movie was coming out that weekend, man. I, that that was about my involvement in martial arts as a kid growing up. <laughs> it's funny how things work, huh? Yep, definitely. All right, man. Well, today's topic, I, I kind of teased it off the top. Um, uh, you know, I'm, uh, it, we're going to be getting into a weight class that I don't know. I think amongst the hardcores have always loved it. I don't want to say loving it now. I think hardcores have always loved this weight class, Nick. But uh, it, it's one that, that doesn't get the attention it's due because, quote unquote, smaller guys, smaller females, which 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 uh, will be acceptable in this list. We'll get to that later. But really, it's it's the bantamweight division um, as a whole. And obviously, uh, you know, uh, the females, which are will be a part of this conversation going forward. Uh so we're not we're not discluding them at all, but but we'll be honest. I think this is a fair tip of the hand, Nick. I think 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 our, our lists are predominantly male, and that's not a sexist. That's not an unfair thing. But again, this podcast is to appreciate history, and and uh, most divisions, obviously, especially the bantamweight. Uh, you know, uh, uh, men were were paving the way for that first, and I'm not trying to say that in a sexist way. I hope it didn't come off. Just just stating it as it is. Am I, am I wrong there? Or? No, not at all. You know, I mean, there was a time not long ago. I mean, I know that women have taken big strides and deservingly so, but there was a time that, you know, a lot of people were even skeptical on having them compete in the sport at all. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think historically, you know, through the bantamweight division, it's it's a little bit more, you know, centered around the male divisions. And I, I respect that aspect of it. But like you said, I mean, the women have been doing some great things. I mean, with Rousey, the history there, everything, you know, it's, it's phenomenal where they've gotten to this point. So they definitely deserve some respect. But, you know, going back through some of the greatest wars or whatnot, I think you're going to probably, even if you include women in there, you're probably going to still have a lot of, uh, you know, the guy fights, I think, towards the top at least. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. You know, you, well said. And, and again, um, another thing too, you know, again, it, it – uh, bantamweight battles. We did featherweight wars. I like my alliteration, but essentially, uh, there's as you guys know for these lists, there there are no rules. You can get as creative. You can get as hipster. You can get, you know, uh, God, I mean, for example, if Nick wants to get clever and you know put put a, you know, let's be honest, the bantamweight actually hit the UFC before lightweight did. It, it was, uh, I, you know, I believe it was either 170 or well, the first 155 fight. I believe was at UFC 33. Was at the Jens Pulver versus. Uh, uh, oh my gosh! Why am I why am I why am I missing it? Uh, Dennis Holman, I believe it was a lightweight, but it was they actually called it bantamweight. I mean, you can it gets really crafty if you actually like go back through the lore and the development of the sports uh, weight classes and how we label them. And if you guys wanted to throw those in there uh, as a fifty five or just to be an asshole, like that, that's welcome in your list. Which of course you can contribute at the PYN podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Use ha- uh, hashtag Protect Your Neck Podcast if you just want to shoot your list out into the uh, out into the space. But yeah, there the, there is no there is no uh, a hard definition of this. Um, although I will say whether it's like I'm using the alliteration of featherweight wars or bantamweight battles, I should say. Um, I guess the closest thing Nick to kind of compare it to would be like we're talking about like fight of the night, uh, fight of the year, like similar criteria that would require those. So um, if you had a, a one a, a more one sided fight, it's not that. You can't have it. I, I probably won't have those on my list. I'll tell you right now, but uh, you can still have them because you know some of them are might, uh, you know one sided as they may be. Were really important fights in the sport. Were were battles. Were wars. However you want to put it. So again, I'm not you know being hard and fast on this topic, nor am I on any. But that's kind of what I'm I, how I approach this list. You know, with, with more fight of the fight of the year, fight of the night 
plus historical importance as kind of the context. What was uh, what was the what was the uh, context you kind of approached the list, and how did you how did you take it, you know, for your research and get ready for this list, Nick? Well, I, I think more than anything else, I tried to focus it on like what you just said, like the wars that were you know going to be like five round wars or whatnot, or you know those just outstanding back and forth type of fights. But there's some that stick out in my mind that you know I got especially in my honorable mention list. I, I do have a couple on there um, that we I do have to definitely bring up later on. That ended a little bit quicker, ended in the first round. So yeah, I mean yeah. because they they do like stand out or they're historically, like you said, important, I think, uh, you know, for the Bantamweight division. So I, I mixed everything, but for me as an odds maker, I mean, I think some of the ones that stand out the most to me or that had a heavy impact in regards to odds as well. So for, it kind of ties in with the, whether it was a war and maybe the odds were a little crazy or it was a big upset or whatnot, you know, something along those lines. So I, I try to take a little bit of everything and mix it in. Um, but yeah, so I'll have a little bit of variety, but I, I think mine's a little bit more geared towards um, the odds than anything else. You know, maybe some of the crazy upsets you'll see yeah, as we get yeah. into it. Oh yeah, yeah. The, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm a I'm a degenerate myself, so even though it's not a breakdown episode, the odds tend to find their way sometimes into into my picks. You know, uh, so certain because certain you know fights are just tied to that. Like uh, I will always tie uh, Verdum Kane and Robbie Lawler over uh, Rory McDonald. Uh, the second fight, um, they're all great, memorable fights standing alone. But then when you have high stakes personally or or whatever reason uh, attached to it, yeah, definitely, it definitely makes it more. And uh, something else I will add that, that me and you talked about, Nick, for, uh, you know, for the audience to hear. I've, I've, I've talked about this before and uh, you've definitely heard this in my selections before. Those those who, who have been uh, following along these, these episodes is it doesn't even necessarily have to be. Um, obviously, we're talking that it doesn't necessarily have to be hardline within the topic. Uh, or traditionally what you would think that topic would, would represent. But sometimes it's a story attached to it, like being at the fight live. It was a certain experience uh, that it, it sounds selfish because, okay, well, how is anybody else supposed to share that experience? But uh, they make them special, you know? Like uh, I, Jordan Killian was on was on here, either our last top five or the one before. Oh, my gosh, I can't even remember what the episode was. Oh, well, top five resurgent performances. And I brought up uh, Ryan Bader uh, Ryan Bader getting upset by Tito Ortiz. And that's like a fight we all have a story about. And Jordan's, which I'm friends with Jordan, I never heard his, was particularly funny because he was just like, listen, you know, all, all, the, all the bro dudes were out. And we're like, Tito, Tito. He's like, this guy's going to get smashed. You guys are idiots. And, like, he ended up looking like the bad guy. And it was great. I mean, I, I appreciate stuff like that. So uh, if... if, if Nick or any future guests of the show uh, have anything like that on their list, it's more than welcome. Awesome. That's uh, that's always good. You know, like you said, if people have a story about, you know, or, or something that impacts them or kind of brings something more to the forefront like that. So I, I can totally dig that. Yep. Yep. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to, I really want to push into this now. Cause I, like I was telling, telling you, Nick, when we, when we first uh, click, uh, clicked on together was that I'm really excited to tackle this topic, man. Um, this one's been on the uh, barn burner, or not on the barn burner, the, uh, the the outside. It's been on the, the warm up deck, if you will, as far as when I'm having guests on, we're deciding. And this is one of those ones where we're out, we're, it's probably like a close number two a couple of times. I think me and Connor almost tackled this one. Me and Jordan almost tackled this one. Like it's an attractive, it's an attractive piece. So I'm glad I get to unpack it with you, sir. Um, but last thing before we go in, as you guys have been seeing on MMAJunkie.com, we've been doing truncated versions of these top five lists, which is awesome. Um, but the thing is, uh, sometimes with, with, with video or, or whatnot, uh, to get a better experience, 
I, I may swap things out. So if you may see me swap my alter my list further, it's usually for the sake of video rights to make a, a better product at the end. But uh, don't get don't get it twisted. You guys are getting my my list. I'm I'm diving deep. I don't know I don't know about you, Nick, but I've got I've got Japan. I've got uh, secondary uh, organizations. I've maybe got some, some 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 Russian stuff going on. Who knows? <laughs> no, I think your list is going to be a little bit more deep uh, than mine. But yeah, like I said, mine have some sentimental or some, you know, some meaning to it, um, obviously as well. But yeah, no, I didn't actually uh, search Japan or I didn't get that deep. But yeah, man, the old pride, of course. I mean, there's just been there's been so many band and battles across the globe, though, for sure. So it's honestly, I mean, you could always throw fights in there or, you know, after we get off this episode, obviously, there might be a couple more yeah. that pop in, yeah. you know, you're like, dang, I should have talked over covered that fight. So, oh, totally. You know, I, I, I just I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just did the featherweight wars one and of course what happens right after that chan sung jung versus yair rodriguez and like the comments from, from my video was like why didn't you add that in and i'm like oh come on <laughs> so you know then we had ortega and um, holloway holloway which you can decide if that was a war or not but it was a great fight uh, it was a fun fight but yeah yeah sorry to interrupt that thought but yeah i, I feel i feel that yep no doubt yeah those uh, are definitely classics as well or instant classics yeah, already yeah. yeah exactly well before before more freaking bantamweight battles happen let's get this Let's get this laid down, sir. Um, to start the journey, I usually like to hand the steering wheel over to the guest, or at least kick us off. We can, we can trade over, you know, uh, halfway through. Uh, uh, you know, uh, maybe maybe when we take a break or so, we 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 will take a, a a quick break that we won't feel in real time here, Nick. Uh, but but yeah, I like to let the guest start off, and we of course we go five to one, and then we get to your uh, trans- transition submissions, which is your submissions that you'd like to contribute your list to the show, and we clean up with honorable mentions, but. Nick, number five. Uh, it's a special spot because it starts off the list. How did you How did you start off your list for top five bantamweight battles? Again, these are all you know. Like I said, I could definitely flip them around a little bit as well because they're all. I think they're all some great fights. But number five, I have uh, UFC Fight Night eighty one Dillashaw versus Cruz. So nice. obviously not too long ago, <laughs> not too long ago there. But you know, it was one of those situations where obviously Cruz was coming back, and you know, and that's where everybody I think pretty much thought is Dillashaw legit and you know he had to kind of go out there and and prove to everybody that he can beat somebody like Cruz even though the decision didn't really go his way I thought honestly it was a bad decision it was a close fight it was a great fight it was back and forth I mean it just had you know all the makings that it, it lived up to the hype basically but I think that was a classic battle I mean the Dillashaw Cruz. I mean, I would love to see that fight, you know, play out multiple times from here as well. So that was one of my favorite fights. Um, it opened at minus 150 as far as the betting odds go, and that was actually probably the one on this list that's going to stay kind of similar because it closed around minus 155. So there wasn't any. That makes and sense. That opened, yeah. So it wasn't any crazy action or anything like that coming in, but I think it was. It, it was just a classic battle back and forth. And like I said, to me, it just kind of solidified the Dillashaw, even in the loss was, you know, obviously not that he needed to, people needed to think of him as legit, but I mean, like I said, I think everybody pretty much had Cruz on that pedestal, rightfully so. I mean, the guy's phenomenal. I mean, you can argue that he's the best bantamweight ever, right? But I think that, you know, Dillashaw threw, he threw his name into that, into the mix, you know, in that fight as well. So that was my number five. Great pick. I have it down here as an honorable mention. It it almost made the list, but it, it, not only does it deserve it to make any list, you could even argue, uh, Nick, that it could be number one, especially if we're looking at it from a standpoint where, okay, like it wasn't like guys were getting dropped left and right. It doesn't it doesn't maybe fit that context. But if we're looking at like something that's been thrown around a lot with the, with the budding female divisions, where this is the most highest level fight we've ever seen between females. 
You could say that for bantamweights uh, just across the board when TJ Dillashaw fought Dominic Cruz. Now, may- maybe some of you might be getting upset, like, hey, but Cody Garbrandt beat Dominic Cruz, and I don't want to get too much into that fight in case it does come up. But uh, with that fight, even with that fight acknowledged, I will still argue that TJ Dillashaw versus Dominic Cruz, especially this time, uh, uh, continuum in this, uh, you know, uh, this space in the time continuum, which is still relevant now, um, you really just had two of the most high-level guys, plus the storylines, of course, Dominic Cruz, which was, who was making, at this point, his second, technically his second major comeback, as far as his injuries and long uh, knee layoffs, related lay- layoffs in the UFC were concerned. So you have that. It ended up being you know one of the you know, greatest comeback in sports because he won, regardless of what you thought of the decision, which I did pick Cruz, uh, so I was a bit biased there, but I, I did score it uh, uh, narrowly for him. Though I mean, I'm not I'm not upset at either way. And I like that you added in the odds there, uh, uh, Nick. Another reason why I'm glad you're here is because to me, you know, with, with the context I just said of, of of these guys being the two highest level bantamweights, when the odds kind of go in and untouched for a highly contested match, you know, or at least in the public eye, it's a main event. It's a highly uh, attractive match, but the odds remain the same. That that tells me one thing: respect, right? That means people were really respecting these guys like they should have, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there wasn't like they. Everybody pretty much knew and figured that it would be a very competitive fight to be a back and forth type of fight. It'd be a war, despite like I said, people I think still needed to see if if Cruz his comeback is going to be legit. If he's still going to be the same fighter like you said, and if Dillashaw is you know what we all thought he was as well. So you know, I, I think people realized that it would be. I, the truth is, I mean, if you if you flip it around a little bit, I think even though Dillashaw um, came in as a favorite there. If you got a healthy Dominic Cruz before that, I mean, you could rightfully make a case that he would be favored in that fight. So obviously there was some to consider there as well with, you know, with, like I said, him coming back and seeing what, you know, he, he kind of had left in the tank or how he did recover and how he was going to perform as well. So I think the line would have been a lot tighter or you mm. can make a case that, you know, it would have been flipped for that fight. But regardless, I mean, everybody expected a competitive fight. The betting action came in competitively as well. Um, and it just played out that way. So it was definitely, like I said, it was kind of a one that's always going to stick out in my mind. Nice. Nice. Awesome, man. Uh, well, you know, y- you got one for my uh, honorable mentions. And by the way, if the crossover is completely welcome, so I have a feeling that may happen uh, maybe once, maybe twice, who knows. Uh, so just call it out, and we can, we just adjust our list and keep keep pushing through from there. But uh, I may go off one that may be on your honorable en- uh, honorable mentions that, that you just teased. Now, I, I usually will stay away from uh, things that maybe happen too soon. I don't know why that is. It's not a hard and fast rule. Again, you can... You put anything on here, uh, but but maybe I, I just want to give it time to settle. You know, I, I feel like there's a certain high that that kind of uh, you know conflicts our thoughts, and then also another one I, I, you tend not to see too much from any kind of category that can fit. You were mentioning one round wars or one round battles or this or that. Um, usually, I don't. You know, I, I do want to do a top five one round. <laughs> One round, uh, you know, uh, best rounds in MMA or one round war kind of topics. Don't get me wrong, but I, I usually avoid those, except this time. I had to do a one rounder. Um, for whatever reason, I thought it ended in the beginning of round two, and then I went back and I'm like, oh yeah, no, it just packed all that action into a single round. And, and this was UFC 191. Uh, John Lineker moving up to bantamweight to face Francisco Rivera. Was was, was that one on the uh, honorable mentions or on the list? Uh, no, but that man, that could be easily. Okay, <laughs> all right. Great one. Yep. Yeah. wasn't the one I had, but yeah. Okay, cool. Well, even better. Uh, and, and feel free to weigh in and hear. But yeah, I, I had to put this one on my number five just because it, it just, it really, it really stood out to me. You know, like if it's a five fight main card, you want to open up with an action fight. And uh, so, so maybe that's why I made my number five. I'm, I'm thinking in like, you know, Joe Silva matchmaker-esque. 
uh, terms here, but but I, I, I you know that this fight stands out to me and many for many reasons. I mean, they they come out bombing on each other. And Francisco Rivera, by the way, you know, quietly putting on really entertaining fights. He might not have always won fight of the night, but he was always like in quietly like contenders and for fight of the night on the prelims. If you were following his career, and uh, and he comes out and he's just he's just down to throw with Lineker, and Lineker was just happy. I mean, Lineker's like. Like Super Mario, when he gets the star of invincibility, like the way he stalks guys, it's like he just he he's, he knows that he can't be hurt. He's like, I got the star, bitch. <laughs> like, what are you gonna do? And uh, and 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 they they essentially went at it. Uh, Francisco Rivera got dropped a couple of times. His eyes started swelling up, but he just showing that that Mexican heart, swinging back, and of course uh, would end up going for a takedown. And, and John Lineker actually ended up uh, putting him out with with a guillotine. So it was. We think about the Rock'em Sock'em Robox that was going on, but it was, it was the guillotine that actually uh, finished the job there. Man, that fight was insane. I mean, it, it was – and we all knew going into it, right? I mean, you had two yeah. heavy hitters <laughs> that were going to just go out there and, and deliver, but I just couldn't believe they were taking some of those shots back and forth, especially Lineker, man. That guy's – I mean, chin is made of steel. I couldn't believe some of those. I mean, because Rivera hits very hard as well. So it's just – yeah, that was a back-and-forth war. I love it. You know, like I said, you said it's a first-round fight, but – it definitely was a classic. I mean, I don't think you're going to see two more guys that are out there bombing away like that. I mean, obviously you you will, but I'm just saying it was it was kind of one of those rare instances that uh, you know you kind of got exactly what you expected, and and even more because you know I I figured honestly that it would if you know they were starting to throw down like that that somebody would get clipped and get dropped and uh, a lot sooner be out of that fight. You know what I mean? As 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 far as how they were throwing, and like you said, the submission finally ending it was kind of a surprise as well. Yeah, so I mean, that was awesome. I mean, the, the submission was a surprise, but but uh, just the swing. I mean, you could really feel the heavy shots. I mean, these were both heavy hitting uh, f- fighters. Obviously, Lineker, which is more insane because he's so small, and was coming up from flyweight, and Rivera, who used to play football, was a big bantamweight. Uh, you know, uh, played football in, in 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 high school and I, even I believe a bit in college. Um, and, uh, and yeah, these were both heavy hitting guys. And again, kind of going against that stereotype, uh, typical trope, where like, oh, they're bantamweights, they're just gonna swing it and, and, you know, pillow fist each other till the decision happens. And it's like, uh, no, no, watch these guys. Yeah, unbelievable. Like I said, I mean, I would love to see those guys. I mean, they were entertaining. Win or lose, you knew you were going to get uh, what you're going to get. Even Rivera, you know, obviously we haven't seen him compete in a little while right, in the UFC right. now. But, man, I'd love to see that guy fight every time. You know, he's going to go out there and, and just lay it all out there, and it's going to be an exciting war. 100%, man. All right, Nick. Uh, number four, I'm steering wheels back over to you, sir. What, what, did, uh, what did you end up on for this one? Looking at some of these, um, okay, right. Well, I got number four, UFC 132, Cruz versus Faber 2. Um, so, again, another dominant Cruz fight in here. But still, I think that – I mean, that was a classic battle as well. That was a, a back and forth, a lot closer. I, I think people – the Ryan Faber dominant Cruz fights, I think – at times, people don't give Faber enough credit, man. I mean, if yeah. you go back and watch those fights, he was very competitive with Dominic Cruz. I mean, he really was. And and for me, you know, Faber was one of those guys that always was a little bit underrated. I mean, obviously, coming over from the the WEC, you know, he was a man, very ultra-popular, you know, fighter, obviously. But, I mean, he was lightweight divisions. Obviously, his camp as well, everything, you know. I mean, the lighter weight classes had – Somehow he impacted like almost every weight class, I think, whether it was teammates of his or, you know, him himself competing at the highest level. And and basically, you know, especially back then, I mean, he was only losing, it seemed like those, you know, marquee matchups or whatnot as well. So Ryan Faber throughout his career has has definitely been a warrior. And I think he's under undervalued and underappreciated a little bit. But that was a fight that, again, Dominic Cruz defeated him in a very close competitive decision. Um, and I've, I've got it on number four because I think it was just a classic battle. And again, I'm giving kind of Faber respect and, and kind of slotting him in there because to me, 
it has some yeah. kind of sentimental value. I, like I said, I don't think uh, a lot of people kind of give credit to where credit's due with Faber at times. I agree. I agree. That's a huge fight. I mean, you could, you could again, that's another one where you could not just argue on the list uh, easily, but argue even as your number one if, if we're talking about like important battles in the division. You talk about build-up, history, what it did. Uh, you know, uh, and, and all that it really hits all those check marks. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad you I'm glad you gave that one some representation, especially what you said. I mean, uh, I, I think you know uh, the opinion on Uriah Faber is just so much a character of himself. Uh, this image we we kind of have it hit, written off in our head, and we don't you know you got to go back and kind of look at look, look a little closer to the history books and and look a little closer at the matchups and realize like you know how much that guy brought and how how competitive and maybe even in hindsight I'd argue how much he overachieved. Yeah, no doubt. I, like I said, I, well, going into the betting line, I didn't touch on that, but it opened minus 600 in that fight. I mean, which is kind of ridiculous. You know, you're yeah. right, favorite fight. I, I realized that Dominic Cruz, again, well, I mean, he was the man, a lot of people, and, and he had redemption on his mind, obviously, from the first time they, they met back in uh, WEC days, obviously, as well. Uh, so he opened rightfully a high favorite, but it closed actually a little bit lower, minus 418, or around more, minus 400 or so for uh, for Cruz there. So there was a little bit of action coming in on, on favor for that fight. But still, I think it's still, you know what I mean? It was a close so I guarantee you people were sweating that decision if they were laying that kind of chalk on the other side. So I still think the line was even at the closing price was obviously a little bit too high. Um, and, it, you know, it played out a lot tighter than that. And like I said, people that were laying that kind of chalk were definitely, you know, feeling it there and hoping they got there, especially with MMA judging. Even back then, you know, it's, it's always been pretty bad, in my opinion, as a whole. I mean, the judges, you get, they're a true wild card when it comes to betting. So any competitive fight like that. Um, and at a crazy price like that is, is definitely one to be concerned about it, regardless who you're backing, obviously. But if you're on the dog, you're feeling pretty good at that plus money, you know, at that time yeah. when the fights come down to the wire instead of vice versa. If you're laying that kind of chalk, you know, you're probably sweating it a lot more than you want to be at that point. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Ain't that the truth, brother? No, that's, that's, that's a great one, man. That's a great one. Um, all right. I, I gotta, I gotta break, not a break, break a rule. Cause this is more than welcome. I actually don't abuse this that much, believe it or not. I probably should abuse this more, which is why I'm abusing it now. Uh, Nick, I'm going with a two-way tie for my number four. And usually when I do a two-way tie, I, I usually like it because I, I, you know, I want it to have like a similar theme. Not just the, I, they're both great and they're both you know, similarly held highly uh, in, in a numbered regard for me. But also a, a theme tying them together. These two have no, no theme tying them together. But perhaps it's kind of uh, what I alluded to for maybe I'm thinking a bit ahead to the truncated version in case... You know, I want something uh, I, I can get some sweet sweet video on uh, because uh, one of my picks here um, goes down in Russia, man. It's it, it's it's a real it's a real hard it's a real hardcore pick. So I want to pair it with something else, uh, which I'll get to second. But the first one was to me this was like uh, this was like the bantamweight. This was like the Russian uh, Forrest Griffin versus, versus Stefan Bonner, where I wake up on Saturday morning. I'm like, oh shit, that's right. There's fights in Russia. What's going on? Oh, it sounds like there's good fights. And I turn it on just for the beginning of Magomed Magomedov versus Peter Yan at ACB 32. Um, have you watched this fight, Nick, by chance? Um, actually, it's it's been a little while. I mean, that's not too long ago, right? When did that fight take place? Uh, um, yeah, yeah, uh, March or yeah, March 26, 2016. So okay, yeah, so it wasn't ACB's first like booming year. They they were around the year before, but this was the year they started to kind of make noise to, to us at least. Yeah, I'll have to go back and check it out. So I can't recall too much of it, but yeah, I, know, I mean, I heard about it and I knew it was, you know, it was uh, quite a war as well. Yeah, it was, so. it was a five-round war for the Bantamweight title. Uh, I, I, either it was vacant or Magomed Magomedov was defending, and he was certainly the favorite. Favorite, um, uh, uh, Dagest, uh, for, you know, uh, 
I forget what camp and caucus off the top of my head, but he was more uh, Dagestani Russian for what that's worth. Where Peter Jan from St. Petersburg, uh, you know, more, more up north, you know, uh, boxing judo was his style. Where you have Magomed Magomedov with, you know, uh, I think he's from Mahachkala, so he had a lot of wushu sanda mixed with um, wrestling, right? So, uh, and you had these, so you had your, your two kind of uh, Russian dichotomies of fighter basically going at it, which was really cool. Um, I, I don't have the odds offhand, but I want to say, I, I want to say, even if there were odds or not, I do want to say that Magomed Magomedov was favored, especially um, by the commentary. He was really held in high regard. Uh, but Peter Yan wooed everybody. He was he was in there for every transition. I mean, and Magomedov was throwing everything at him. I mean, he was throwing punch combinations mixed with spin kicks that would like chain into a hip toss. Like it was insane. But Peter Yan had answers for everything, was scrambling back up to his feet off the fence and landing combinations. And that pressure boxing style was just building and building to where you could argue he not only had the momentum, but may have won the fight in some people's eyes. It went to a split decision. It went to Magomed Magomedov, but they immediately showed respect for each other. Like you'd want to see immediately a grant, you know, uh, granted each other a rematch, though it didn't happen immediately. It actually, uh, I think Peter Jan had to go fight once or twice, win once or twice more before he got back to the champion. And he would win uh, in a five-round unanimous decision. Peter Jan would take the uh, take the rematch. Now he is in the UFC, but but I wanted to throw that one in there. That, that was a great fight for people if they can track that down. Yeah, definitely. I mean, fights like that, like you said, you did. You definitely went out there and dug deep because I, I wasn't expecting ACB. But man, yeah, that's that's definitely one to consider. I mean, there's like you said, across the globe, there's just so many great fights, especially these lighter weight classes. Man, I love yeah. it. Yeah. They, these are definitely my favorite weight classes. You know, some of the lighter weights. You just see so much. I mean, with the technical aspect of things, and I mean, with usually their conditioning, cardio, um, just across the board. I think they're those are the weight classes to watch. Featherweight on down. I love it, man. And not that lightweight, and you know, some of the other divisions are not. But I don't know. I've always had kind of a special place, I guess, in my heart for the lighter weight divisions because man, those guys are spark plugs that just keep on going at it. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I think as we round, as we, we we fill out our list more, we'll we'll have better better examples to point to as to why these lighter weight classes are important when we're talking about geographic talent and uh, opportunities, right? But uh, but but real quick, um, the one I wanted to, and by the way, the one I like about that, the one I like about that pick is like that's not even me trying to be hipster. It's like it's that was one of those fights where I honestly, I I stumbled upon that by accident. And sometimes those are your best experiences in the sport, which I'm sure you know you have your own uh, yeah, list of those things you stumbled upon by accident, right? Oh, no doubt. Yeah, there's no doubt. You said, especially as you're going back through some fights and whatnot, and you, you might uh, you know some of the guys that you're trying to look for, you know, footage and. It, whether it's Brazil or where, wherever the case may be, and you uh, you know stumble across a couple of their old uh, battles or whatnot, yeah, you definitely you're pleasantly surprised when you see a good fight or two along the way that you weren't expecting. Yes, sir. And not to overextend my turn anymore, but just uh, just to pay it off, the other one that I attached to this um, right before starting the show, uh, I attached as my dual number four. Again, has no relation, but this was a fight I really wanted to talk about. Um, it's got a guy named Michael McDonald who, you know, could be on the list for a couple different fights, but he's facing a guy who's really underrated, man. Edwin Figueroa. Edwin Figueroa did not have a great UFC record. Uh, he finished his career uh, in 2016, it looks like, uh, off of four losses, sadly. Three of those happening in the UFC. But he debuted in the UFC, uh, I want to say undefeated. Uh, both guys never seen a judge's scorecard in that fight. It was both their debut, except Edwin Figueroa, 
took this debut on seven days' notice. There was already, I mean, people were already aware of Michael McDonald from Tachi Palace uh, coming over. And, uh, but Edwin Figueredo was, was, was just a local Texas guy. You know, he, he was a, a Golden Gloves boxer, El Salvadorian kid from Texas. And uh, he uh, trained at Saxon Jinjira's uh, Muay Thai gym, where fighters like Ryan Benoit and whatnot would, would, would come out later um, from. But, uh, but yeah, and, and this guy just had, he swung heavy. Again, for stereotypes of small guys not hitting heavy or small guys not, you know, go, going for it or, or putting on fun fights, like Edwin Figueredo, uh, if, not Figueredo, Devison Figueredo is fucking me up now. Edwin Figueroa. Again, not impressive on paper. Not the most impressive fighter as a whole, but one of those low-key guys I think people should appreciate. You know, he came out to, uh, what's the song? I, I, I love it. He always comes out to the yeah, uh, Return of the Trace by Delinquent, uh, by Delinquent Habits. It's, 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 such, it's such a fucking cholo song, and he's just coming out to it. And, and you knew you were always going to get a fun fight. He was that dude on the undercard. You're like, oh, shit. And at UFC Fight Night 24 uh, back in 2011, him and Michael McDonald, just put on an excellent debut, just swinging for the fences for the first round, and then it becomes this like crazy ground transition war where Michael McDonald's like hitting all these crazy submissions off his guard, almost hitting a uh, Figueroa who's having to do his Benson Henderson impression, and Michael McDonald becomes gassed by the third round. He's just trying to survive against a, a stalking Figure, uh, Figueroa underrated fight. Do you remember that one, Nick? I do, man, and I can't believe that you <laughs> you brought up Figueroa. That wasn't uh, Figueroa. I wasn't expecting that at all. But man, he deserves it. He was a fun fighter to watch. Like you said, maybe not the most impressive UFC resume, uh, but he was always in fun fights. So yeah, I definitely remember that scrap. I, I believe, actually, I think I was on him. I think I was on uh, Figueroa at that at that exact time because he was a, a dog, and I thought it was going to be a, a, a pretty close competitive fight. Um, anyway, but yeah, it ended up being a great fight. So I, I understand why it's on your list, but I'm, I'm definitely shocked, man. You def, you dug deep there for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll have another guy too uh, that, that I definitely promised to bring up on this episode. But, but I, yeah, I don't know why. I've, I've got those weird little nerdy proclivities where there's just certain guys where I'm just like, this guy deserves respect, goddammit. I know he's not good, but we need to fucking talk about him, all right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, man. Uh, hey, what's what's your uh? What is your number three, sir? Do you want to, you want to take, take the steering wheel back over there? Sure. And uh, number three, looking at it right now, I mean, uh, it's another uh, cruise fight, actually. And I'm not trying to make it cruise heavy, but obviously, in my, my opinion, I mean, he's, like I said, he's one of the, of the goats in, in that weight class and lighter weight class. No, period, no, obviously. man. I, I, it's one of my favorite fighters, man. Go ahead. So it was Cruz versus Garbrandt that happened not too long ago, All a couple right. years back. All right. right. And it was because, to me, it, it was another one of those spots where, obviously, you know, Cody Garbrandt, a lot of people, I think, were skeptical to see where he was at. A lot of people didn't think he was going to perform, uh, you know, as well as he did. And, and that was his coming out party, man. I mean, a lot of people, you know, respected Garbrandt with his knockout power and whatnot. And actually, the line, as far as the betting line goes, it opened around minus 195 for Cruz. And it closed around uh, about minus 250 or so. So it's about two and a half to one. So people were betting Dominic Cruz up in that fight um, a little bit more so. And, and again, kind of. That's a respectable line, but you got to, you know, count everything in with the crews and, you know, coming in even through times where he's not exactly hurt. You know, you're always kind of concerned with the state of his health these days. So you always got to kind of factor that right, in a little bit. Right. But but that was, again, that was one of those cases that Garbrandt for me personally um, in Ohio, obviously he's, you know, from Pittsburgh. He's trained at, um, in Cleveland here with Stipe and, and you know, and crew over here. So uh, uh, an Ohio fighter or a guy that trains in Ohio and, and kind of is part of, uh, you know, that Ohio clique or whatnot you want to say is always going to be 
a little favored, you know, I'm going to show favoritism to, towards those guys a little bit as no well. Obviously yeah, from, hey, you know, yeah, I hear you, bro. So they kind of, you know, has a special spot in my heart for sure. And for Cody Garbrandt to go out there and perform like he did, I mean, that's always going to be one of my all-time favorites because, I mean, he just, he put out quite a oh, show. Yeah. He deserved, like, you know, it was a close fight, competitive fight, but he, I thought he deserved the nod there. And um, just like I said, a coming out party for him, man. It's always going to be sketched in my mind. So I thought it was worthy of, you know, being in my top five list as well. So yeah. he, he comes in at number three. That's a fight that's definitely worthy of being on this list. But yeah, not, you know, it's funny. We're, we're so fickle. We just remember Cody Garb, you know, we, Cardi, Cody Garbrandt, you know, and, and maybe his last couple fights. But, but yeah, man, uh, just following his story, and, and I, I particularly like his story too, just because of, uh, you know, seeing a guy come back from concussion issues and then being able to win a world championship. You know, that's he's he automatically earns a spot in my heart for that, uh, as far as that goes. But uh, yeah, even even being a fan of Dominic Cruz and and. and I don't know about being how much on him I was, but I definitely picked him and, and probably had him in a parlay or something that night. But it was one of those uh, performances that just blow me away every time I go back and watch it. We're, I was talking about this with my uh, co-host, uh, George Garcia, about like, you know, like showcase performances. Like they're just some of those performances like, uh, uh, you know, we're talking about like, you know, BJ Penn versus like uh, versus Diego Sanchez. It was very one sided, but it was just one of those like that's like. That's like a, a performance on like what mixed martial arts can be if you really, you know, a master, you know, paint, painting a masterpiece can look like, you know, and, and that that's one of those that was one of those performances, especially where, you know, deservedly so, how highly regarded Cruz is and was. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt at all, man. I mean, like I said, it's always just going to be a classic in my mind. I'll never, you know, I'll never forget it, and, and just uh, seeing him, how proud I was, kind of seeing him pull off that, you know, the upset win and, and getting that strap and whatnot. Like I said, and, and you know, he's genuinely a good guy as well. You know, he's he's definitely a good person too. I mean, outside of the cage as well. So there's, you know, I mean, like I said, it was just kind of a special moment for me, and I I was. Even though, again, it was one, another spot where I saw some value there, so my money was on Garbrandt, I was still pleasantly surprised to see him come away with a victory. You know, like, like I right. said, especially judges' cards as well. To me, that's always a wild card. So, you know, like I said, he deserved it, all the work he put in. So definitely, you know, a nice spot for him. That will obviously be a memory the rest of his life. He, I know, like you said, he's had some struggles recently, um, you know, obviously against Dillashaw or whatnot. But outside of that, man, I mean, Garbrandt really, like I said, put himself – on the map and just proved everybody that he was definitely one of the best bantamweights in the world at that time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I'm sweating bullets over here every time you mentioned Dominic Cruz. Cause I was like, Oh, he's going to, he's going to pick the one that, uh, the Cruz fight that I have on my list and the Cruz fight that I have on my list was number three. So I was like, oh, okay, we, he's definitely going to be on the same one here, but, but no, no, not yet, which I'm glad because now we get to talk more, uh, Dominic Cruz to give him some love, which he could probably use right now. Poor guy. Uh, not to timestamp this episode too much, but, um, Surprise, surprise, uh, Dominic Cruz is injured. So if you are listening to this podcast uh, in the future, we could be talking about a multitude of years, uh, different years here. But uh, but no, um, this was Dominic Cruz versus Demetrius Johnson at UFC Live 6, October 1st, 2011. This one, uh, this one had to make my list because even though it's a guy that we know so much as, as, a, as, as a flyweight, uh, Demetrius Johnson made his trade at Bantamweight, and, and in fact, that's that that, that made his appeal all the more appealing because he was fighting in a the, at the time the smallest division, but was clearly the smallest guy amongst the smallest division that was on the roster. Um, so you know, it, Mighty Mouse was treated even more as a you know I don't want to say a gimmick uh, as a, to be disrespectful uh, or demean him or anything, but but yeah, there was almost like that to it, right? 
And, uh, you know, his loss to Brad Pickett and stuff wasn't that far away uh, uh, at this particular uh, point in 2011. Uh, but Demetrius Johnson was able to beat, you know, uh, guys like uh, uh, Miguel Torres and, uh, and others on a streak that I don't have in front of me. I apologize to earn himself a title shot. And it was a fun fight. Like, I remember just, like, it's one of those fights where I picked Cruz and I was more familiar with Cruz. And I, I like DJ, too. It's not that I didn't. But I was on cruise, right? And as the fight's going, it's one of those where I found myself just cheering for the other guy. Like, I eventually stopped cheering for Cruz and was just cheering for Mighty Mouse. Because it it, for me, the fight just felt like Mighty Mouse is doing these cr insane fast combos. And Cruz usually used to being the fleet of foot guy and moving around. Especially this point of Cruz, pre-knee pre -knee injury Cruz. I mean, he was just celebrating his movement over dudes. But here's Mighty Mouse just... Blitz and fast combinations on him, and it was great. It was just blitz, 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 blitz. Cruz would just grab him and, and force to use his wrestling and take him down. And we're we're forced to like, like this is one of the last times we'll really see Cruz lean heavily on his wrestling because he really hasn't had to since minus maybe the finish of Takeda Mitsugaki. Um, you know, and it was really great. Like he really forced Cruz to dig deep. Like it was just one of those things where it's like. Oh, small guys contain them. Small guys contain them to the point where, whenever I'm rolling and going with small scrambly guys in the gym, and I'm like, "Fuck this noise of trying to get out of there." Scrambles and submissions. I need to just throw a shoulder into this dude's chin and just control him and pin him to the mat. And I always think back to that fight because that's what Cruz was forced to do uh, for five rounds um, it, to the best of his ability. Because because Demetrius Johnson made it a fight, so that that one makes it for my number three. Man, that's a heck of a number three as well. That's uh, it was hovering around my honorable list as well, honestly, because yeah, that and that was another classic battle that people don't give Mighty Mouse a lot of credit for. Man, that was, that was a really close fight. I mean, he, you know, obviously he was undersized, like you mentioned, and I knew, man, it, to me, that was a, a big, you know factor if the UFC ever added a flyweight division. I mean, I called it way back when. I know uh, Joseph Benavides dropped down as well, but I, I thought, you know, and it was documented, I'm sure, on some podcasts or whatnot, you know, our podcast way back when, but um, that if the UFC added a flyweight division, Demetrius Johnson would be the flyweight champion. There's no doubt in my mind. He was so good, you know, even in Bantamweight, like you said. I know he suffered that setback to Pickett or whatnot, which he got, you know, out-wrestled, controlled a little bit in that fight, obviously, as well, and like you mm -hmm. said, the cruise fight, but, I mean, again, a lot of that had to do with size, but, I mean, just the pure the technical aspect of things and just watching Mighty Mouse perform was um, amazing. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, Cruz had his hands full in that fight and he had to do what he had to do. You got to take your hat off to him. And he, you know, that was a great win for Dominic Cruz as well. But, yeah, I mean, that for me cemented uh, that I knew once, uh, you know, the 125ers would come in that, uh, you know, he was going to be a force to be reckoned with. And I thought he would probably eventually wear that strap. So, and he did. Obviously, he was the most dominant, you know, flyweight ever. So, um, awesome, man. I love that fight. Yeah, you're right. It is kind of an important fight in regards to flyweight history, too, uh, on an off on an offshoot, huh? You really think yeah, about it? Yeah, for sure. Because, yeah, I mean, you know, we had those battles back then when the first the flyweight division first came about. Ian McCall made, you know, put a stamp on things a little bit early on there. Yeah, and, of course, yeah. like you said, Joseph Benavides as well. But, yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely a factor because, you know, some of those guys were going to drop, especially, like we said, Mighty Mouse. And, uh, and I mean, the people that were going to compete with them. Obviously, I mean, I didn't think it was going to be like that. I don't think he was going to dominate and clean out the division like he did. I mean, who right, would have thought right, that he right. that But yeah, I think it was definitely a, a big indicator of what's you know what was yet to come. That's crazy. And then he went on and didn't lose until a, a, a split decision to Henry Cejudo uh, fairly recently. Uh, again, not the timestamp, but that's that's crazy, man. Well, hey, uh, on number three, how about this? Let, let, this is probably a good. Uh, this is probably a good beat to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to finish out our top five and your top five 
of the top bantamweight battles right here on the Protect Your Neck Podcast. And we're back right here on the Protect Your Neck Podcast for the top five bantamweight battles with special guest Nick Kalikas. Now, when we left off, we left off at our number three, and uh, I believe, as I, as I usually do, I let, let the guests kind of start off. Um, tell you what, uh, I'll go ahead and, and take us, take us, uh, start us with number two. I'll take the steering wheel for this one, and then I'll hand it off to you. Sound good, Nick? Yep, yeah, cool with me. I'm, I'm curious to hear what you got at number two. My number two, man, you know, people are going to start thinking that, like, because most of my lists, uh, most of my lists, I'll, I'll be honest, most of my lists are like 90% UFC lists and kind of referencing to the uh, uh, the truncated fight vaults, which thank you guys for supporting and checking those out on Junkie. Um, obviously, you know, um, that library, you know, is very helpful to work with if you're going to have one library to work with. But uh, yeah, I'm surprised people are going to start accusing me, m- maybe not because I just recently covered one of their shows, but uh, not giving Bellator enough love. And then that, that's not the case. Just I think with the list that we've done, Maybe they haven't, uh, my favorite Bellator fights haven't come up, but this was a list where immediately when we announced it, I'm like, okay, I know this, this one uh, is up there for sure. And it ended up being at my number two, and I think that that's just right because it, it is that good. It was not a title fight. It was not even your biggest names uh, outside of a hardcore, whether you were you know, a fan of the WEC days or you loved yourself some Japanese MMA. This was LC Davis versus Hideo Tokoro. At Bellator 135. Are you familiar with this one, Nick? Holy cow, yes. Yes, definitely. And again, way to think outside of the box there for sure. That was a great fight. Yeah, it's a great fight. I mean, I, I I I can't remember what it was. I think it was Galval or maybe Warren or something. Maybe Warren Galval, I want to say, might have been headlining that night or something. But I wasn't watching for, for them. It was just one of those bonuses on the way up. But the, the matchmakers were smart to put this one on the televised card because these guys went at it. Of course, L.C. Davis, very athletic southpaw, uh, picking and choosing his strikes, picking and choosing when to wrestle. And against Hideo Tokoro, who, if you don't know, Tokoro's been fighting, like, forever. Like, this guy has fought freaking everybody uh, K1, Shuto, and kind of, especially K1, really where he made his trade, and uh, just a real aggressive dude. Uh, he he's still at it. Like he came up recently for the quintet. He was on on Team Sakuraba. Just watching him grapple with even guys like Barnett. Like the guy's an animal. You know, even though he fights at 135, I mean, he's a big 135er. And uh, that traditional Japanese spirit and aggression came out in this fight. He was diving for scissor hook leg locks, going for flying knees. Um, he hit. Elsie Davis early, uh, it's hard to tell what did the damage that I'm about to allude to because in the first round, he knocks Elsie Davis down with a spinning back fist right in the jaw. Then he hits him with a head kick right in the jaw in like the second round or third round. I mean, or the second round. And then I think in the third round, he drops him with a counter right hand right to his jaw. And I say that because uh, even though Davis was was doing enough probably to win the first two rounds. You really couldn't tell. It was just such a bananas ass fight. Um, you know, there was just crazy submissions, transitions. Uh, Tokoro actually starts getting momentum in the third, and then hits what 
Herzog thinks is an illegal upkick, but just gives him a warning because it was kind of too close to call. And the replay showed it was actually legal. It was just this crazy transition. Like, I think Tokoro knocks him down with a counter right hand, jumps on him, almost gets like a triangle arm bar, pops out, and then hits him with a leg kick or hits him with upkick. This is all... All three of those different phase transitions happen within like literally 15 freaking seconds, if not 10. It's, it was insane. And uh, the fight comes to the end. It, it, it's a, it goes to the distance. It's a split decision that uh, ends up going L.C. Davis's way, which it really doesn't matter who the winner is. But even Jimmy Smith, uh, that, that's how his scorecard matched it. But uh, And as Jimmy Smith's going to, and you can find him, Jimmy Smith talking about this on YouTube, um, because it wasn't on the actual fight when I got to rewatch it. I remember there something wrong being with L.C. Davis. And the reason why I, I pointed out him taking those shots at the jaw is because you see it. You see like kind of like a bunch of blood in his mouth. And if you look closely, his whole bottom jaw was crushed. Teeth were missing. Teeth were shattered. Teeth were impinged and collapsed into his gums and jawline. And Jimmy was just like, I've never seen a jaw injury that bad. He's like, dude, we don't have to do this interview. We can skip it. Production says it's okay. I'm on with him in earpiece right now. And Elsie Davis says, no, I've been waiting all night to talk to you. I'm going to talk to you. And he does the, 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 the post-fight speech, gives respect to his opponent, all with a busted mouth full of teeth. How the fuck do you not love that? It showed everything about MMA inside and outside of the fight. So that, that's my number two. Oh, wow, man. Hard to beat that, honestly, with especially the way you... you Sorry, I get, I get passionate. I get passionate over here. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's phenomenal. Like you said, I mean, I don't know how he, he did that, man. I mean, uh, you know, but obviously adrenaline's flowing and, you know, he's obviously on cloud nine or whatever after a great war like that, but he, whether it's a painful war or not or whatnot. But yeah, that's, man, that was an instant battle. Like you said, didn't, uh, yeah, I, I didn't think it would end up on the top five list, but it, I mean, it's worthy. Not that it's not worthy at all. Like you said, and to me, I'm surprised, you know, uh, for me, Takoro's chin was probably a concern at that time more than, uh, you know, anything else as far as, um, yeah. as, as far as stylistic, you know, cause you don't think of him. He was more of a grappler. I mean, he's a well-rounded mar- mixed martial artist, no doubt, but, uh, you would think that, you know, if, if they were standing and banging, he did have his success, as you said there. And uh, you would think that Davis would have, uh, you know, would obviously have a lot more success in that fight. But, yeah, he definitely caught Davis quite a few times along the way. And it just it made it a tremendous fight, you know, back and forth. And it was definitely a close one. Yeah, man. I mean, we forget about that. The Japanese fighters haven't done well, but kind of something we were talking about earlier with, 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 with what's so cool about this weight class is is that it's a very worldwide weight class. I mean, um, whether it's Japanese, South American fighters, like all these fighters that, you know, whatever, you know, uh, stereotypes or historical genetics, uh, all the above, right, that, that factor into the people that, that compromise this world. Some countries and some regions and continents just don't produce them as big as in other parts. That's just a fact, right? And uh, it doesn't make them any any more or less. And I think that these weight classes remind you just how much bigger the heart is even than the quote-unquote stereotypical big, strong warrior. And you really see that in, you know... Japanese fighting spirits, Koreans, uh, uh, Mexicans, South Americans. Not trying to make it a race thing, but the, 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 these, these markets and these regions that generally are more populated in the smaller weight classes, they come strong. No doubt. Actually, um, there's a little bit of a Japanese feel to my number two as well. All right. All right. Let's, go. Like, let's so. go. No, no. Yeah, please. Perfect segue. <laughs> I'm excited. We'll, we'll, it we'll is. See. Yep. Um, WC40. Torres versus Mizugaki. Nice. Uh, at number two. I mean, it, and to me, it, it's crazy because, I, I mean, it was just, 
it was an outstanding war that I think wasn't quite to be expected. Not that people disregarded Mizugaki at that time, but I mean, if you remember, if you recall how highly regarded uh, Miguel Torres was yeah. at that point, I mean, the line opened at like minus 600 for that title fight and uh, it closed around minus 850. Um, you know, even higher in some places as well. So, you know, across the board, depending. So almost 10 to 1 favorite. And, and that was a close competitive five-round war. And Mizugaki really, I think, proved to everybody that he can obviously compete with the best in the world at that time. Because, again, Torres at that point was just, like I said, on a pedestal in most cases as well. And that was just a surprising back-and-forth battle. I think Torres, you know, he was getting tested every second of that fight. I mean, it was just – again, it was one of those points in my – you know, throughout you know the Bantamweight division or whatever that really stood out to me because uh, I think a lot of eyes opened with Mizugaki performing as well as he did. And then it showed a lot of heart from Torres as well because, you know, it was he, – he got challenged. I mean, a lot of times he was just blowing through competition back then, you know. And, um, and you know, he finally got – a real a test that was, I mean, like I said, an unexpected one, as, as high as the odds were as well. So as far as the betting line, it always stood out to me, and then it was just a classic battle in my mind. And you got to put, you know, for me at least, Miguel Torres, again, back, you know, in the WEC days or whatnot, um, it's hard for me to leave him off the list because I, I think historically in the lighter weight classes, I mean, at the beginning, I know that, you know, he kind of fell off there and um, didn't end up having the career we all expected him to have. But, you know, at that time, at least, he was he was the man. And, you know, for me, I think it was, important to kind of you know throw him in this on this list somewhere as well and i mean that fight again is a classic battle for me so mizugaki versus torres at wec 40 fantastic pick man this one uh you know i can see this one being number one on many lists on any spot on any list almost made my list to the point where i put an h next to this one um because it's not just a normal honorable mention i, I made sure to mark this one ahead of time for the truncated version the video version this one will make the cut for me it is that uh that good of a fight, and perhaps you'll understand why I didn't put it on when I get to my number one. But uh, but it deserves to be there uh, uh, on any any, any part of, any part of your list. And, and yeah, th- this was also a fight where it's like you know bantamweight, especially back then. You you had a lot of guys that were maybe you know like a Demetrius Johnson that could could make flyweight. Uh, hell, like, almost get bummed out looking at Edwin uh, Figueroa not not continuing a fight because he looked like a guy that was more suited for flyweight. And then you now then you think about his power that he already had. That made him an exciting bantamweight. You're like, oh, this guy could have been like a John Lineker down there. Uh, too bad he stopped fighting before that really opened up. Neither here nor there. Um, but, but but yeah, uh, the, the Mitsugaki and and even when you go back now with with uh, you know in this day and age where there's some really huge bantamweights now. Uh, you know, in, in the year in the years of 2016, 2017, 2018, uh, and about to be 2019. You know, bantamweights have gotten bigger, but you go back and watch this fight, and Mitsugaki and Torres, they look like some pretty hulking bantamweights. I mean, they were not hulking. I mean, they were they were tall and lanky, but they also had some muscle on them, and, uh, and you really just got to see them slinging bones at each other for five rounds. It was, it was, just, it was just an amazing high-level striking fight, and uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm glad you, you brought up Mitsugaki. That's a guy that... Uh, I, 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 in the similar spirit of Edwin uh, Figueroa, where he might not have been the best on paper guy, um, this might, you know, in hindsight, this ended up being his most important fight as far as it being for a title because he never made it to title contention in the UFC, obviously. But Mitsugaki was a guy, you know, me and Jordan were pontificating on on a podcast before. Like, th- that dude, I loved watching him fight. Like, there's not a lot of knockouts on his record, and he wasn't, you know, knocking guys out like crazy, barely at all, even in the UFC. But he had he had deceptively heavy hands about him, right? Like when he 
struck. It wasn't so much that you felt it through the screen in the proverbial way. You just saw his opponent feel it. And because his opponent felt it, the temperature of the overall fight in Mitsugaki's fights would raise. And it would make for a much more pleasurable and exciting experience. And he was just one of those quiet guys that went about. You, you, you kind of feel me on that, Nick? Oh, well said, man. I agree with you completely. Yeah, I mean, just a really, truly, like a genuine martial artist, you know, with the respect factor, everything across the board. Yeah, you could tell he was a gentleman in and out, out of the cage as well. But yeah, you're right. There's no doubt, man. He brought it every time. Like you said, yeah. underrated power. I mean, like, again, you mentioned that he wasn't just dropping everybody. But man, I mean, just technical striking. And, and you, when you, he definitely landed, I mean, his opponents felt it. And it did change complexion of fights for sure. Yeah, and, and yeah, and another note, like you said too, uh, he, he he always brought it. Like that's one dude you could never like. This this is a compliment that sounds like we could th- it gets thrown around a lot, but if we really wanted to be critical about it, I feel like it would be a small list, and on that list would be Takeda Mitsugaki, and that list being guys who you can never accuse of not giving it all. They're all in there. I agree. Every time, I mean, every time he stepped in there, yep. There's no doubt he showed up to fight every time. And yeah, you're right. I mean, the problem is there's a lot of fighters out there these days that are, you, you know, you can't depend on like that. You mm-hmm. know, they're so, it's a roller coaster ride. You know, they're just inconsistent with their, some of their performances. They look great one day, and then the next time you see them fight, you're like, was that even the same fighter or fight, you know, fight IQ, whatnot, everything. But yeah, Mizugaki brought it every time he, was, he stepped in there. Yep, 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 exactly. Uh, great pick, man. Um, this one kind of connects. Uh, as well to my number one, so I guess I'll just segue from there, and uh, you can go. And after that, you'll you'll just close off this list with your number one. Sound good? Yep, I'm down. All right. Well, the reason why that Miguel Torres fight, though, probably arguably, arguably most people's favorite, the highest ranked, if we're trying to rank his fights, um, there 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 was a special place in my heart. I said Elsie Davis and Tokoro was one that popped in my head, but there was another fight on this list that popped in my head for this one immediately when we did it because. This fight not only is my number one or top five as far as Bantamweight fights go, but if we did a list, Nick, for like top five fights that took place in the WEC, this is definitely on the five and probably even on the three. That's spanning any weight class, any fight that happened in the WEC. Um, It also involved Miguel Torres and another Japanese fighter, not Takeya Mitsugaki, a guy who unfortunately funneled out and and, and did did, did much, uh, not to say much, but even less, Yoshiro Maeda. This was Miguel Torres' first title defense after beating Chase Beebe at WEC 34. We have to go back over a decade for this one. This took place in June 1st, 2008. Do you remember this fight, my friend? Wow, I gotta go back and uh, check it out again. Yes, I mean, I, obviously, I, I recall that that uh, right. you know Torres coming away, but I have to, yeah, I have to go back and uh, check it out. And there's, I don't recall all of it. Again, so. this is uh, this is the this is Miguel Torres' rise and kind of like what Nick was talking about. Like what you, you teased it, like. People forget how highly Miguel Torres was regarded. He only had one decision loss uh, when he, not only this fight, but he continued winning until he met after this fight. The uh, Mitsugaki fight happened about three or four fights after uh, Miguel Torres hadn't lost up to that point. So he only lost in the regional scene like a decision in some random fight. Miguel Torres was like there was like you know the, arguably there some people say that he had like thirty fights that were unlisted. I mean he was one of those dudes that was just fighting in the bars, the unregulated shit, right? Um, and, and Frank Mir was commentating uh, both the fights, uh, the, uh, the the one we just talked about with Mitsugaki, as well as this one at, one, U, at WEC 34, and just talking about why this guy could be a pound-for-pound fighter. Not only was you know Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu and just that lanky frame of that versus your typical, you know, 
I don't want to say typical, but like you know, you're, you're boxing and judo, Japanese stylist with a lot of heart. Like those, I love those matchups, right? The Muay Thai, the Muay Thai guy that's throwing wild because he's got good jujitsu versus the judo boxing guy who's just pressuring, pressure fighting his way. You know, kind of like uh, one of my other favorite WEC fights that I'm not burning. It was already on a list: welterweight wars, Carlos Condit versus Hiro Mitsumura. It's a very similar dynamic, right? We think about the skill sets here. Um, wow, yeah, that was actually excellent that you brought that up as well. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, no, no, yeah. yeah, but yeah, no, 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 not at all, man. But it's, it's just, again, I hate stereotyping, but stereotyping is almost kind of uh, uh, fun when done in the right spirit. And, and, and I would say that, that that's a fair stereotype of, of, of Styles match there. And, and, and it played out beautifully here because I, I couldn't find it. I, I went back to watch the actual event, not just, not just the fight on fight pass. And they cut out the, uh, you know, the, they do the talking heads where they go, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm coming. He's not going to stop me. You know, then they play the package before they walk out. Right. Well, the package is like I don't know what the hell started it because like this is Miguel Torres like is this early in his WEC career? My doesn't even freaking speak English. This might be his, like his first WEC fight, and these guys fucking hate each other. Like they are like. like Torres is spitting venom coming out of character, and then My is just cold. He is cold. I wish I, this is why I, I'm afraid I'm going to exaggerate it or it's going to sound like I'm exaggerating it. I promise you I'm not. At least I'm promising you this is the best I could remember it. I could not find confirmation if one of you crazies like Mr. Honky or something out there can somehow track this footage down to correct me if I'm wrong or just so I can see it. It's welcome. Please do. But Yoshiro Maeda is speaking through a translator and he says something similar along the lines of, I'm going to rip Miguel Torres' head off and eat his soul. <laughs> like I'm just like holy shit, and saying something like I'm willing to die by the sword tonight, and I was just like holy fuck. Like either I'm willing to die or he's going to have to kill me. It was it was a mix of those two lines. It was ripping head off, taking soul, going to have to kill me. Was the gist of his message, um, and I was like holy fuck. And I because again I, I wasn't even I, I I'm only about two years into being a hardcore at this point in 2008, right? Like I've been aware of the sport for for years before this, but as as far as being a hardcore goes. My 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 uh my year starts like two thousand early two thousand six right I was a tough noob coming coming after the tough uh, series but yeah so I, I wasn't super familiar so I'm 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 hooked in just from that alone these guys come out here and if you're watching even co- uh, Frank Mir on commentaries like dude these guys are not fighting like they normally fight uh they were kind of picking their shots a little bit at the beginning but they were throwing literally to take each other's heads off I know that sounds so cliche but they were and even Frank Mir it was coming through he was like dude these guys really don't like each other. You can tell when guys are fighting, they're getting used to the fight. Like these guys really don't like each other. And it just picks up from there to it becomes a slugfest. And then in the second round it becomes this crazy kind of again, kind of similar to Elsie Davis Tokuro becomes this crazy like grappling transition fight to at a point in the second round it's awesome. Uh Maeda, of course, the Japanese fighter, going dropping down for a leg lock, but the leg lock misses because it's such a wild freaking scramble. And they're really just it goes from them swinging, trying to take each other's heads off to a ground scramble that he panics and goes for a leg lock, misses, but tries to make the best of it and ends up coming up with like salvaging his uh, leg lock attempt with a toe hold, right? And Miguel Torres tries to spin out, but Ma- Maeda's got him pinned to the ground pretty well with the toe hold, and Miguel Torres says, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go grab his leg. And Miguel Torres goes for a toe hold. They both have toe holds, and neither are even trying to play defense. They're not even trying to do the game where like, they use their free foot to kick the other guy in the face or, or pry his grip free. They weren't even giving two craps about that. They were just focused on breaking the other guy's foot. 
Like it, like it sounds cliche. We've seen like double toe holds. We've seen fifty fifty fights. It, it has it holds nothing to this fight that took place over a decade ago. And as Frank Mir saying in the commentary, this is this is perfect symbolism right now. This is some of the like best Frank Mir commentary, by the way. He's like, this is perfect symbolism right now for how these guys are approaching this fight. They just want to finish each other. They don't care about the defense. This is warrior shit. Like it was crazy, and they're just they're just cranking at each other, and then the fight uh, goes to the third round, and Miguel Torres almost looks like he starts to kind of tire, uh, and you see kind of a momentum swing, almost similar to the Hiramitsu Miraconda uh, swing, even the Elsie Davis and Tokoro swing in the third round, where the Japanese fighter, he's been t- he's been, he's been on probably the receiving end more so than not in the exchanges, but now, now his pressure's paying off, right? The problem is, even though he's able to knock Torres down and punch him in the guard, you see his right eye starting to swell, and by the end of the third round, it closes. And it was actually the doctors that had to call a stop. So it was a doctor stoppage. The fight didn't even get to see through, which was upsetting because it was a great fight. We unfortunately never got to see a rematch. Maeda would kind of filter out and not really have any important fights to go on to mention of in his career. But that was a fight, even with the doctor stoppage, I, I, I would argue does not sully it at all. It was awesome. It was an amazing fight. And and on note of the doctor stoppage, this was one of the first fights, Nick, where we see it all the time now. And I, I love these pictures, like, uh, you know, where the fighters, like, they're taking, they're doing, the, like, Gus and Jones after their first fight, I think, did it, where they're beat up and they take a picture with each other afterwards. I love that. This is one of the first times I saw that in MMA and Miguel Torres, because it was a... Uh, I think it was Faber versus Pulver, that legendary that le- legendary event was the headliner, and they were the co-headliner. So they were in Sacramento at some bar, and, you, and then they posted a picture uh, on Twitter or whatever. It was Maeda and Miguel Torres having a drink, and like they were like genuinely happy and friends after fucking hating each other. It was it was the coolest thing. That's that's long-winded, but that's my number one. That's fantastic, man. Yeah, definitely. I forgot about that fight. Like you said, I got to go back and rewatch it now, especially since you uh, that you kind of brought it back up to memory because I kind of you know f- almost forgot about that. Not no offense to Mieta or whatnot oh, either, yeah, but because yeah. man, that guy had a kind of a yeah, he had a, a quite a career and he brought it. I wonder what the animosity was pre-fight. I wonder why they, you know, um, you know, were kind of had that hatred. That's interesting to. To kind of see, I wonder why. You know, obviously yeah. there's high stakes. I mean, and again, at that time they were actually looking for Miguel Torres. They were looking to find you know suitable opponents mm-hmm. for Torres at that time. So uh, yeah, I mean, Mayada definitely delivered there. I recall bits and pieces of that. I just like I said, I can't recall through like uh, the fight like you just did. Um, but uh, I'll definitely have to go back and check it out. I want to try to. I want to while we're talking and, and while you set up, I'm going to try to find odds on that one because one of the things that made that Mira Condit fight so interesting was. Uh, Mira, no one was giving him a shot. I think he was like a plus six hundred dog. Like that, those yeah, are some odds definitely. that I remember. And then those that all again back to your point, Nick, that the odds can even make you know kind of influence what you're seeing uh, in a good way. It makes makes it even more interesting because you're like, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, and yeah, no doubt. In that fight that you were mentioning with Condit, man, yeah, everybody was shocked. I mean, again, a lot of people were laying that chalk, and that was a sweat and a half, definitely sweat and a half. Looking at the Miguel Torres Mieta fight, it looks like it closed around minus five seventy or so for uh, Torres. So he, yeah, he was about a six oh, wow. to one favorite. Again, nobody giving uh, Mieta much of a chance there um, either. So yeah, that was definitely a you know a stern test as well, even before the Mizugaki fight, like you were saying. Awesome, yep. man. Awesome. Well, I'm excited, man. We set the stage. We, we we've, we've got some good ones, but. Uh, I'm excited to see what, what what's there, there's still a lot good left over really in this topic. But what, what's your number one, man? Well, this was a no-brainer for me, honestly. Um, especially you'll understand why here. But it was Dillashaw and Brow at back at UFC 170. Oh yes, their classic battle in 2014, where 
I mean, Brow was the man at that time, and nobody thought, you know, people were comparing. I mean, he was pound for pound one of the best, obviously, as well, listed at that time, right? And people were just, they didn't think, it was one of those things. We put these guys so high on a pedestal with the Mighty Mouses, with the Anderson Silvas back then, with the George St. Pierre's, you know, all those dominant champions. We just put them, obviously, Jose Aldo as well. You can't, I mean, you know, I'll probably forget a few, but uh, you put the, we put them so high on a pedestal. We think these guys are invincible. You're like, no, these guys are never going to lose. I mean, these they're just way too good. How is this guy going to beat them? Right. You know, and, and that's exactly the scenario leading up to the fight. I opened um, actually Brow minus 425 in that fight, right? So he was a four to one favorite, and I, which I honestly thought, I mean, after I dug into that fight deep, I really believed that Dillashaw was going to give uh, Brow a lot of problems in that fight, and I thought it was going to be competitive. So I thought four to one was actually high in that fight. But needless to say, the, the betting public did not. And they came in crazy, and, and you know they bet this fight up to ten to one, so it closed around minus a thousand. And the comeback on Dillashaw was around plus seven sixty-five. Yeah. In fact, to this day, that's the biggest upset in UFC history. Was actually T.J. Dillashaw pulling off that crazy, you know, win over Bra when he was the man, and nobody ever, you know, expected it to happen. So, and I remember, you know, going on podcast picking him, and everybody's like, "You're crazy," you know, and and, uh, and this and that, and uh, and it played out. You know, like I said, I, I didn't think it was going to be that, you know, type of a fight, but. Uh, you know, as, as well, or it, I didn't think Dillashaw would uh, put a beat down on him, you know, as a fight progressed or whatever, as, as it went. But it, in my opinion, that was, you know, the all time spot for me because it was the biggest UFC upset ever. And that was just kind of another, you know, spot where obviously Dillashaw was getting respected. That's why he got that, you know, that title shot or whatnot, but still nobody gave him a chance. Nobody thought that his striking was even good. They didn't think that he was going to be able to take Brow down. And if he did, Brow had the jujitsu skills to get him in all sorts of fits as well. So there was a lot, um, to get through for Dillashaw to, you know, to become champion there. And, and obviously back that up not too long after as well. So that's always going to be at the top of my list. And again, I mean, it, it might drop off sometime if, if there, we see a bigger upset, which eventually will happen. I mean, plus 765 for the UFC, um, you know, I'm sure we'll see something crazy happen along the lines in the next couple of years or whatnot, but that's going to be, you know, a hard one to beat. but I think it will get broken eventually, at least in the UFC. So. So that stands out in my mind. Again, classic battle. Bra was the man. Unfortunately for him, I mean, you know that that fight was the last. You know, one of the last times we saw Bra really at that level. Like I said, and then obviously after that, people were thinking maybe it was a fluke or whatnot. You know, and they had the rematch. But yeah, Dillashaw proved that he was definitely one of the best bantamweights in the world and dethroning the man out there. Just like I said, cements himself at number one for me with the odds and everything factoring in. That's why it's number one on my list. Great pick. Apologies for my dog barking there, but I think he was just trying to reinforce your point of the biggest dog coming through. So <laughs> he just go. started barking right. like, yeah, that's right. It was him. <laughs> that's right. By the way, by the way, people, uh, you know, people are going to, people are uh, maybe, maybe shouting at the, at the screen right now. Uh, what about home over Rousey. What is that? What, uh, is that? Would that be number two? Um, home versus Rousey? No, actually it was not here. I'll, I'll let you, uh, let me take a quick glance real quick. I'll, um, uh, I'll get side, the sidetrack you, but you're the perfect man to educate the masses when it comes to that. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Uh, home versus Rousey was actually number eight on the list, believe it or not, wow. at plus six five. So, I mean, it was ballpark, right? At plus six thirty five. But right. number two was actually uh, Joey Beltran versus uh, Rolls uh, Holes Gracie, if you remember that. Oh shit! Yeah, holy shit! Nobody gave Beltron a chance back then. Yeah. <laughs> that was right underneath uh, Dillashaw there. Damn. Um, and, and, and talk, speaking of which, man, we also Eduardo, actually. And that's now looking back, man. Eduardo, Johnny Eduardo beating uh, Eddie Wineland was actually number three at plus 735. Holy shit. Yeah, that one, that one definitely lives in the uh, MMA gambling Twitter uh, lexicon for sure. That one's up there. 
Um, yep. That's awesome, man. Uh, this is a great pick too. Just, just, just to not get sidetracked from it because uh, I figured this one would come up, so I, I left it off my list. Also, it, you know, again, this will definitely be on there if we do. Uh, I didn't want to mention it because I had a feeling it would come up. But you know, you mentioned the the Cody Garbrandt over Dominic Cruz. Uh, you know, kind of ask, uh, you know, the, the BJ Penn versus Diego Sanchez. There's these certain like masterclass performances that stick out. And uh, if we ever did that, like I, I would see this one being number one, could could be easily number one on that list as well, right? I mean, it was it was really a masterclass. But I will say, as far as the odds go and how they play into that, this it plays into my memory of this fight too, Nick, because I was betting at the time, although casually, very casually. Um, I just forgot to bet. I'm looking at the date right now. I'm pretty sure I was actually moving this week, right? During during this week, this happened. But I remember watching this fight. So I went over to my buddy Brian's house. Has been on this podcast before. We had another friend over who was an MMA judge. Uh, nobody big name, but I'll just I'll just leave his name nameless just because um, this has to do with gambling and betting. Uh, but uh, he came over to watch it, and we were just talking, talking, talking to S, you know. And I'm, I respect his opinion because I, I knew that this guy calls a. Uh, uh, offic- not calls or officiates, but yeah, judge- judges mixed martial arts fights, and obviously is is a hard- was a hardcore fan himself, right? And I think he trained jujitsu or whatever, so we-, we would always bullshit on fights. And he's like, "Yeah, man, I laid a big bet on Dillashaw." And initially, because you know, again, like Nick was saying, I mean, you got to remember this was uh, Dana White at the peak of his hype machine. When Dana White, he gets a lot of criticism now, and even though there are things he was doing then that he gets criticism for now, he wasn't really getting criticism for him then. Like Dana White was, I would say Dana White's stock was was pretty high. So when Dana White was coming out and being like, Henan Barrow is the best pound for pound fucking fighter. You hate fights if you don't like watching his fights. Like people listen to him, you know? So that kind of placated in what, what Nick was saying about the buildup of this fight, which contributed to the odds. And even perceptions of people like myself, uh, for example, which was, I was like, oh, yeah, Brow's going to win. Okay, yeah, he's a big favorite. Okay, I guess I can get that. TJ Dillashaw didn't really, I believe he didn't have, like, the fullest camp. It wasn't necessarily short notice, but I can't remember the exact situation, but they were scrambling to get him an opponent, right? And and Faber gave him the, yeah, give TJ a shot. Um, so TJ becomes the guy to do it. And, and it was funny because I was one of the few who scored that first fight, um, Oh, for him, uh, his first fight with the Sun Sal. So when he styled on Mike Easton, which is kind of the first fight where we start seeing D- uh, this version of D- TJ Dillashaw, I would argue, we really start seeing it come together uh, in that Mike Easton fight, right? And then from that Mike Easton fight, he goes and fights Hannon Burrell. So I was already high on TJ. I was already uh, seeing his progressions. I was already sold on him, but I wasn't picking him on the fight. So... When my friend, this guy says, I just laid the 770 plus 775 or whatever, I literally start thinking out loud and I go, well, I go, at first I go, wait, I'm on Burrell. Because he's like, who do you have? I'm like, I have Burrell, but no, that's a that's a good bet. I mean, not just because of the value, uh, you know, uh, for the, you know, the odds and the number, but I'm thinking, I'm like, TJ Dillashaw likes to go to Southpaw a lot and, and, sh- and shift stances. Uh, man, Burrell hasn't really faced any Southpaws. He's faced like pretty standard boxers, whether it was like a, a, a sloppier style of favor or a more put-together style of, of picket. Um, yeah, he hasn't really faced any southpaws or guys that can shift stances, much less, okay, well, what about mobile guys? Yeah, he, he's pretty mobile. All right. Well, what about wrestlers? Well, yeah, Faber's a wrestler, and he's a dangerous submission threat, but I would argue that Dillashaw, a better wrestler, not a proven or as good of a submission threat then or, or now probably, but but I'm like, yeah, okay, so he's going to be able to dictate. He can he could probably score 
he could probably score things. Brown's more of a guy he has to get on your back. If TJ just takes him down toward the end of a round, holy shit. And then you had the team alpha male was going on a bit of a run. You had Dwayne because Dwayne Ludwig just went over, so they had a winning streak and momentum. And I, I essentially just start going through all these check boxes to where now by the time I got to the check box, the fight the fight's probably about to start, or you know I I wasn't savvy enough. I didn't really feel like placing a live bet or something. But I remember being upset, going motherfucker, you just talked me into changing my pick, and now I'm wanting to bet Dillashaw. Sure enough, like you said, and like we all know now, he goes out and runs a masterclass, uh, and, and never let Hannon Burrell back into either of the fights. Just hurt him early in both fights that happened, and never let him back in. Great, great pick. Yeah, it was kind of, you know, like you said, it just with the buildup and everything else, it's just kind of a shocker. But yeah, it was definitely, I mean, the line was ridiculous. I, I know I made a little bit of money there too as well. I mean, it was just hard not to in that spot. I mean, you win some, you lose some, but that, yeah, that was insane. I, just everybody was laying the chalk. I remember, I mean, and there's a lot of smart opinions on, you know, at that time as well, picking, you know, they were like, there's no way, you know, a lot of people that, you know, the, a lot of the media members or whatnot that we value their opinions that are no dummies out there. You know, so everybody, it seemed like there was very few people that were actually picking Dillashaw there to pull off that upset win. So, yeah, it just like I said, it was kind of an eye-opener, and, and then it proved that Dillashaw was the man. Like you said, that Easton fight, though, it did lead up to it. That Asuncao fight, I scored for him as well. I thought he edged that fight out. Um, it was close, though. I mean, Asuncao right. has been a man and underrated for how long now? I mean, he's still yeah. relevant, you know, and still, you know, obviously knocking on that title shot door, yeah. So, but that Easton win was solid, man. He definitely opened my eyes there as well because Easton was no easy guy to handle. No. And, I mean, Dillashaw just – I was surprised how easy, actually, Dillashaw made that fight look. So, yeah, leading up to it, you could definitely see – you know, some good things coming out of that. But, you know, and also to me, it was one of those these situations for Burrell on the other end of it. Before he ended up getting that title spot, <laughs> that title shot, you know, going through some of his footage and and seeing him, you know, come in and, and not get a ton of respect possibly early on in, the, in his, uh, you know, UFC career. I remember talking to somebody when um, he was a favorite. I believe it was over Jorgensen or whatnot. And, and, um, and I made him, when I opened that line, I made him like a two and a half to one favorite uh, on the opener. And I had a buddy who's like, man, my goodness, he's going to lose that fight. Brow's a little bit overrated. And um, and I thought, no, he's going to go out there and steamroll him. I'm actually on him. And, you know, as far as value goes, a lot of times it doesn't matter. I mean, if it's a favorite or obviously an underdog, um, if, if there's value there, there's value there. But, uh, you know, I, I probably prefer to look for some good underdogs more so than obviously, lay that, you know, any type of crazy chalk in most cases. But um, and, and this was one of those uh, – exceptions i guess to the rule there's obviously a ton of exceptions that rule along the way but i just thought that really um you know brow would go out there and, and prove that he was better than most people thought as well and then obviously he started that run so basically what i'm saying is i i respect the brow probably before he earned you know that title mm -hmm. shot and got that title and i knew what he was made of and i knew that he was going to be a heck of a fighter and probably have a, a decent little run you know once he got that strap but then matchups make you know every, or make styles and everything and so i thought that was going to be a pretty tough fight with dillashaw so i'm just glad that i was able to call i guess both of those guys at the right time um you know i ended up fortunately uh, getting them right, I guess, in their careers. Now, I didn't see the drop-off. I didn't think Brown was going to have the drop-off that he recently did, obviously. Right. I mean, that's kind of sad, honestly, it to is. see these fighters that were just so dominant just not not have it anymore, just not look the same. And, th and that's definitely the case with Brown these days. I mean, it's just it's kind of sad to see it. Well, that was a, that was a theme on this list, man. I mean, like, you know, they're not kidding. For one reason or another, the, the lighter weight class guys don't last as long. And, like, it was super sad, whether we're talking about Burrell, a guy who went from a super high to a crazy drop-off, a guy like Michael McDonald, who at the time was the youngest fighter on the roster at a certain point at 20 years old, to now he's retired. Uh, again, not to timestamp this episode too much, right? 2018, he retired. Uh, to even other guys like uh, 
rest in peace, Kid Yamamoto, who are no longer freaking with us. I mean, it's, yeah. it's kind of there. There were some de- depressing realizations going through this list as well. Like, holy fuck, appreciate the bantamweights and the lighter weight class because their drop offs are, are pretty harsh. Yeah, you're right, man. I mean, there's, that's pretty evident, yeah. And, and a lot of us don't think of it that way, but it's true. It seems like, the, you know, for some reason, the, the heavier guys, I mean, look, even the heavyweights, man, a lot of those guys can, you know, fight their mid-30s, early 40s or whatnot, and, and they seem like they're not peaking sometimes until they're in their late 30s. It's crazy. Yeah, you dude. don't see that as often with some of the lighter weight classes, you're right. Yeah, Orlovsky's got like nine goddamn lives out there. You're crazy, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no doubt. Man. Hey, hey, man, uh, I want to bring up some uh, just real quick. We don't have too many because um, I was bad and I didn't post it 24 hours in advance like I usually do for the listener suggestions. So I'm just going to read off a couple that we got. Uh, but while I'm doing that, Nick, if you want to go ahead and, and queue up some of your honorable mentions that we didn't get a chance to talk about, uh, and we'll get to those as well. And of course, feel free to comment on um, whatever listener lists I, I, I read off here. Okay, sounds good. So you want me to throw some of those honorable mentions out there right now? Um, one second. Get one queued up. I'm, I'm, I'm going to shoot Twitter, and then and then you okay. can go ahead and fill that break while I jump over to the Facebook. But on Twitter, okay. we, just, we just had one I wanted to give out. Uh, at Dixon Mathis, at Dixon underscore Mathis. I don't have a complete list, but I think Cruz's last two title fights, still Sean Garbrandt, are number one and two. He didn't have them ranked the same as you, Nick, but I think you guys are the same there. You had both those on your list, right? I'm sorry. Somebody was just typing to me. <laughs> oh, sorry it's about all that. good. It's all good. You had a uh, he had a uh, both Cruz's last two title fights. Dillashaw and Garbrandt. For him, it's his number one and two. Uh, you guys didn't have him in the same spot, but I was just saying you you as well had uh, had had both those on your list. So. Right. Correct. Yep. That is correct. Right on. And, and sorry, did you w- w- while you're on there, did you have uh, any of your uh, any honorable mention I queued up that you wanted to shoot out there real quick? Yes, actually. Um, and again, I, I guess WEC kind of sits in a. A decent spot, you know, in my heart throughout because, man, the WEC was just uh, – it was just so fun to watch those guys back then and obviously when they merged into the UFC. So I got a couple WEC fights or, uh, and, yeah, you know, one of them is actually Miguel Torres that we talked about. We were talking about some of the blowouts though and, and this was – I mean one that ended in round one that was an upset actually when Brian Bowles – I don't know. I mean a lot of people out there maybe oh, the yeah. – I remember Brian Bowles, but this kind of sat in my mind as well because Brian Bowles, man, early on in his career and, and when he was, you know, making his uh, his run in the, in the WEC, I thought that guy was going to be a special talent. I mean, yeah. I, you know, he obviously, you know, he had his personal issues and you know he had his setbacks and whatnot. And he never became that dominant, you know, potentially amazing champion that I thought he had, you know, he he could be at one point. But he got out there and he just, you know, destroyed Miguel Torres. And, um, you know, and obviously he was a, a decent underdog going into that fight and, and doing so or not as well. So um, that's it was, you know, didn't last but one round. Like I said, towards the end of the round, it ended up finishing there. But Brian Bowles, man, I think in the history of the Bantamweight division, I think at, at least the WEC days, I mean, he's going to be he'll be cemented forever in my mind a little bit. But like I said, I think it was kind of a disappointment that he, he didn't have a better career um, throughout. But, I mean, he was one special fighter at a certain point of that career. And I think that was obviously one of his marquee victories when he went out there and just destroyed uh, Miguel Torres. Dude, I agree. I'm actually going to tack on an honorable mention just because it goes with that before I go to the Facebook. Um, yeah, I mean, this, that, that, that's a great one. Uh, just is important. Forget the whole round one or uh, finish or whatever. Whatever kind of list you want to put this in as far as band weights go. Uh, it's a really important fight. Uh, where Miguel Torres was. And, you know, if anybody was, you know, if there was another guy that Frank Mir really just kind of oversold in his commentary, you could accuse him of overselling, Brian Bowles was that other guy. So it was kind of ironic that he was the one that would knock off um, 
knock off uh, Miguel Torres uh, in that fashion, I should say, at least. I mean, at least a surprise for people watching back then. And I like – and Brian Bowles was getting, you know, a following because, you know, he had – he had a uh, – I believe he had a guillotine submission he could pull out if he needed. But he really just had these heavy hands, right? Looked like a G.I. Joe action figure there. And uh, he came out – he had one of my favorite walkouts. Now, Johnny Cash can be – just like Rage Against the Machine can be a, a very – a typical MMA walkout uh, track, you know, uh, artist, I should say, uh, perhaps overplayed, and especially this track. But I will say, not a ton of people were using this track, and I do associate this track with him when the man comes around. Uh, when Brian Bowles came out, and I just, you really, you, you, again, I love breaking that stereotype because it's a, a, a bantamweight. Which, which you know, if you want to be stereotype and say, oh, they're a bunch of pillow-fisted guys, oh, they're not going to knock anybody out, like. There were dudes like Brian Bowles that just that came that came to swing, um, and and whatnot. And again, coming out, you know, just 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 owning that, being being a small one thirty five guy. But you know, what? I'm gonna knock fools out. I'm a badass cage fighter. I'm gonna come out to a badass man song. I'm gonna come out to Johnny Cash when the man comes around. And uh, the honorable mention I wanted to mention with that was when you know watch you know he finally gained that respect after that fight, right? And he goes and fights this guy Dominic Cruz, where Cruz should have people should have been respecting I think much more than they already did at that time. But whether it was the loss that he'd, he'd yet to avenge at this time to Uriah Faber that were still kind of burnt in people's head up, up a division at 145. Uh, maybe it was the style that, you know, people don't know what to do with now. They certainly weren't exactly sure what to make of it then. For whatever reason, uh, I don't know the odds. Maybe the odds were indicative of that. But it felt like Brian Bowles was the guy that was supposed to win that fight. And Dominic Cruz just freaking schooled on him, man. And uh, I, I had him, you know, he, he you know, Broken hand, quit in the corner, however you want to put it. Dominic Cruz, you know, uh, showed he wasn't just a decisionator either that night. So that, that was just an awesome fight. You're absolutely right, too. Dominic uh, Cruz was the underdog in that fight. Bowles was about two and a half to one favorite. Shit. Um, that fight. So, yeah, man, it was just, yeah. I mean, not the respect factor yet for Cruz. Obviously, he started earning some uh, soon after that. But I think a lot of people's minds just had that loss to Faber, especially, you know, in the first fight or whatnot. It, I don't know. I guess it was the way it happened and the way it went down. I think a lot of people underestimated Cruz's overall game. You know, they mm-hmm. they thought that he was probably a little suspect. But and then Styles make fights. And obviously, you were talking about the hard hitting Bulls, man. And he did have bricks in his fist, man. That guy had just, you know, he like he had a little bit of wrestling. He had that guillotine choke, like you said as well. So he was just at that point, you know, people thought probably he would be able to stuff the takedowns. It just knocked most people out, you know. And, yeah. and but again, Dominic Cruz showed up, and man, again, he looked great. So that was a big upset there. But I agree. That Bulls Cruise fight was definitely a classic as well. All right. Before we knock out the last of our honorable mentions, the last from the listeners here, uh, Aaron Fisher. This is from Junkie Nation. Shout out to MMA Junkie Nation. Aaron Fisher, he just wanted to make sure we had Torres versus Mizugaki on there, and I think we, we, we did that one justice. Um, Oklahoma Knowles, Jersey Mike. He has, I'm not sure if it goes 5-1 to one or 1-5. One to five. I think it goes 1-5 to five because he has a, uh, we'll see. He has Cruz Benavidez too, which is on my honorable mention list here at WEC 50. Uh, again, Joseph Benavidez, crazy. Up until recently, he only lost to to two guys, which was Dominic Cruz and Mighty Mouse, which is which is just insane. He also has one punch Pickett versus Chito Vera, uh, Misha Tate versus Holly Holm. That was the gentleman. Yep, yep. Shout outs to Oklahoma Knowles, reminding us that bantamweights are females too. So if anybody would have had that on their list, they weren't wrong. Uh, that's definitely the bantamweight battle that I would choose from that gender. Um, and, and That was awesome. Oh, definitely. yeah. And uh, finishing out his list was Dotson, John Lineker, and Brian Boom Kelleher versus, uh, versus uh, Hennon Burrell. What did you think of those? 
I like them. I mean, like I said, they're just so many great fights. It's hard to put, you know, the top five and, and you know, you could always obviously argue and, and swap fights out or swap the order as well. But yeah, those are great. And that's a little bit of thinking outside the box. I like it. Yeah. And I just want to say, as you mentioned, Brad, Brad Pickett was a guy that, that I'm surprised didn't end up on my list because he's one of my favorite Bantamweights, man. I always love watching this guy fight. I don't know if it was because you know he had the pikey thing going on, coming out with the newspaper and the cap, and you know just that that boxing centric style and having really underrated wrestling, by the way, one of the first Englishmen uh, to really re- really tackle that, not just in his style, but actually taking the time, going to American Top Team, traveling outside of his comfort zone. Like Brad Pickett was a motherfucker. Um, Brad Pickett versus Thomas Almeida, I will say, is going to make my truncated version for the honorable mention list. And uh, Brad Pickett versus Michael McDonald will be the other fight, I believe. Like, probably Holy two, cow, two best both fights. awesome. Yeah, those were fantastic fights. Yeah, love them. Pickett yeah. was a warrior, man. I mean, he was great. Underrated, you know, throughout, um, you know, his career. His, but, look, just winning, you know, beating. Uh, I know it was at a higher division or whatnot, but just, you know, having that win over Demetrius Johnson, how awesome is that for him as well? He'll always have that. Yeah, and, and you know what? I, I – it's one of those picks where, you know, there's very few picks you're proud to be wrong on because at the end of the day, you're wrong, even if it's a fight where it should have went your way, but the judges scored it this way. You can't cry over spilt milk. And, and not that I'm, I'm trying to by this, but I will say I, I am proud that I said that I, I picked Brad Pickett to beat Thomas Almeida, which was thought to be crazy then, still thought to be crazy now. But you know what? I will argue he showed he gave the pathway that, 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 that I called for uh, was seeing to beat Thomas Almeida, and that was going to be a pocket boxer. Um, that, that takes advantage of the the suspect defense. We all we we get so taken in with Thomas Almeida's offense and that rise. Not many people were criticizing his defense, and I saw that left hook being there, and it was. He broke his nose. He dropped him not once, but arguably almost twice. At least got him to drop and then maybe do a, a half stumble. Um, and then of course, in real time, Brad Pickett um, throws a throws a flying knee. And in real, I shit you not, uh, I shit you not. I go to my friend Brian. I go. Because I just know I know sparring flow, especially with young guys. As soon as you throw something flashy on a young guy, he's gonna try to fucking hit you back with it. So in real time, watching UFC 189, Brad Pitt throws a flying knee. I look over my buddy Brian and go, "Watch here, Thomas Almeida is gonna throw one now." Boom! Knocks him out with it, right? So I was wrong on the pick, but I would argue uh, Cody Garbrandt, who I also picked against Thomas Almeida, and then guys like Jimmy Rivera later uh, would show that Brad Pickett was onto something. You know, say what you will, the, the veteran pointed the way. Yeah, no doubt. You're absolutely right there, man. And I mean, those, yeah, that was a classic battle as well. You know, I mean, as far as the, the way they were throwing down and Pickett, man, what a warrior, like you said. And Almeida, I, I, man, if that guy, just imagine if his defense was a little bit better in his chin held, man. Wow. Because offensively, he's just so much fun to watch. Jeez, yeah, that's right. Any other any other uh, honorable mentions you want to fire out? I mean, uh, to me, yeah, I, I kind of feel, I guess, for Faber, not ever, you know, eventually – wearing that gold in the ufc because like i said i think he's i mean when you look at the lighter weight classes you always in my opinion i'm always going to you know remember favor being right in the mix of everything there as well um and probably being a little bit underappreciated i know he you know he got his hype he got the respect from the ufc he was definitely a, a star you know as far as on the roster goes i know a lot of people are probably questioning whether he's going to be a ufc hall of famer i think it's a no-brainer i think favor will i mean the ufc is not going to pass him up man everything that he did again now i mean you can you know, argue it back and forth. Does he deserve to be in or whatnot? But for me, he would get my vote to be in there. I mean, just, you know, the career that he did have or whatnot. But so this is another Faber fight. It was actually back at WC 52 and it was Faber versus Mizugaki as my honorable nice, mention. Nice. There's another first round, you know, submission win for, for Faber or whatnot. But those are just two, you know, guys, like I said, I guess I'm, um, you know, a little biased towards WC because there's so many classic wars back then. Long live WC, so. man. That was a, that was a Faber's first battle fight. If correct me if I'm wrong, right. Was it? 
Um, I believe so. I believe so. Yeah, man, that that was an important one. Uh, when you drop down, yeah. I, I just got a couple that I'll, I'll fire off, and, and I guess feel free to, to to comment on them as I name them off here, Nick. But uh, I mentioned them already a bunch of times, and I really wanted to find a place for Kid Yamamoto on this list. But most of his, uh, at least in my opinion, his best wins were in either in K1 or higher weight classes. Though the one fight I, I oddly enough was going to put on, not out of disrespect, was a loss, and that was uh, Kid Yam- as a Dream Nine. That was Kid Yamamoto versus Joe Warren back in '09. Almost ten years ago now, Jesus Christ! But it just—it's one of those trajectory fights where you see like that was arguably maybe the last of Kid that we knew as Kid to see, and it was the beginning of this guy Joe Warren who would be a top five list for like hardest starts to a career on paper, like strength of schedule. Like Joe Warren's on that top five list. Ah, it was insane. Yeah, early on. I mean, a a guy that just had a stud wrestler that was so raw at that time as well. Like all former champions, like Chase Beebe, Bibiano Fernandez, Yamamoto. Hey, go face those guys. Yeah, amazing, right? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, Warren's definitely a crazy man, but he he got better fight by fight. You know what I mean? He he did. He he ended up uh, obviously wearing that Bellator strap, uh, and that was due to some of that. I mean, the strength of schedule, I think, early on. I mean, just taking so much away from those fights and competing at such a high level. I mean, yeah, there's no doubt, man. I mean, he he was definitely outclassed in skill. I mean, with a lot of those fighters, you know what I mean? But he had the heart, and obviously he picked up, I mean, just that special athlete that he is. He picked everything up quick, and he got better and improved. Yep. Yeah, you got to put. I mean, I'm glad you brought up Kid Yamamoto as well, man. Yeah, I mean, just one of the all-time greats in the lighter divisions as well. Rest in peace, man. I'm not even gonna lie, dude. Like, I got emotional. Like, I looked up the look up his fight. I pulled up his sure dog record, and just seeing the like the I'm so used to seeing the born up in the top left for the stat when you pull it up, but not often you have to see the died, you know. And I was just like, fuck it. I'm seeing that more and more now when I'm going through these guys' records, you know, as we we follow the sport, as we get older and the sport gets older. But yeah. Yeah, it's sad, definitely. Uh, two Pedro Munoz ones I wanted to throw at you that made my honorable mentions list. I always loved this fight with Jimmy Rivera. That was a that was a real fun fight back at USC oh, '77, and uh, yep. the fight versus Brett, John- Brett Johns, of course, was fun. Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, yeah, both. I, I think uh, for me, the Rivera fight, it just yeah it was yeah, I think even uh, just a, a wild you know classic as well for him. Uh, Pedro Munoz, all his fights, man. I mean, brings it. I yeah, mean, he definitely. Does. You can't go wrong there picking any of his fights. The cool thing about that Pedro Munoz fight is, uh, and the Rivera fight, it's like one of those fights again. Like it's like where it's two high skills of that division, but not happening for a title, not happening in a significant place of a card, uh, or, or maybe even on a quote unquote significant card. Right? It wasn't a, a pay per view card or anything like that. But yet there it was in all its glory. You know, we were treated to it. So. Yeah, and, and it's, it's one of those things with Munoz. I'm glad he's finally getting the respect he deserves because I remember making his uh, UFC debut against the Sunsau. Um, yeah. He came in stepping in on short notice, and a, a lot of people were counting him out in that fight. I actually, that was a fight that I lost personally betting because uh, I thought the line was a little bit too high, and the Sunsau deserved to get that win. I mean, but a lot of people were saying, there's no way this guy's not as good, not that good. The line should be a lot heavier. You know, and like I said, the Sunsau got the, you know, got the win rightfully so. It was pretty clear that he won that fight and deserved it. But Munoz's game, and after that fight, obviously, he, he started picking up. And, I, I, you know, like I said, I knew that the potential that he actually uh, had going into that fight and, and what he could, he, what he was capable of and what the tough out he would be. So when you're getting somebody like that, a, a decent dog price, man, it's hard to pass up a guy like Munoz for sure. But again, hats off to us. That's out, man. The guy's, like I said, underrated. I mean, we mentioned it a little bit earlier. So, yes, but yeah, that kind of stands out in my mind as well. Yes, sir. And, and only a couple more before we get out of here. I usually don't go with newer ones, but this one was just fucking awesome. I had to put it on there. And from a guy who I think we're going to get a lot more. And you mentioned another, uh, another guy, but uh, Corey Sanhagen versus Yuri Alcantara at UFC Fight Night 135 uh, 
August 2018 here. That was just a fun fucking two-round fight. You remember that one? Yes, yes, definitely. Craziness, man. I mean, back and forth, uh, just all, yeah. I mean, that was a huge win for Sanhagen, obviously. Oh, yeah. Arms bending, faces bloodied. It was fun. Uh, yeah, I thought he was, yeah, there was no way I thought he was going to get out of trouble there. But, hey, give him credit, man. I don't know how he did it, but he did. He managed to do it, toughed it out, and uh, was able to get the W there. Just uh, just insane. Uh, last thing, last fight and last fighter. Uh, uh, the fight was uh, Antonio Banuelos. I got, I got to give him some love for WEC. WEC 41 against Scott Jorgensen. Had to throw that fight on there. Yeah, that's a classic as well, man. Jorgensen, another guy. Benuelos as well. I mean, a yep. lot of people aren't talking about him, but, but those are two guys, like you said, back at WEC that were definitely guys that you had to, you know, that you had to keep an eye on because every time they got out there, that man, they were exciting fighters. <laughs> I love Benuelos. I love Benuelos with his fucking belly and handlebar mustache, and he'd come out and bang with the best of them. Yeah, you just yeah, you wouldn't expect it, right? I mean, just not at all. But yeah, he was definitely underrated throughout his career, probably yeah. there. And last fight I wanted to bring up uh, again, you, you shouldn't. This is super hardcore. I don't expect you guys to. Is one of those guys. He needs to be on this list, but he doesn't have any memorable bouts because, at least for Westerners or a big note because of the organizations, mainly he fought in in Japan and stayed there. But he he's one of those guys where if you see like, oh, there was somebody who beat Horiguchi. Oh, there's somebody who beat this guy back in the day. That guy's pro- name was probably Masukatsu Ueda. And he's a deceptively impressive record. He's now like a 40-something-year-old bantamweight. But go look at his record, especially early on. I mean, not just the wins compared to losses, but look at who he was beating and who he was fighting. It's really a who's who multi-generational Japan. Like, if you were playing seven degrees of separation of Japanese fighters, I want to play with Matsukatsu Ueda. So I just had to mention him there for that. Yeah, no doubt, man. You got to give respect to some of those guys as well. I mean, like you said, in Japan, I mean, we had so many classic, you know, battles throughout the years as well. You miss a lot of those. You know, I think a lot of circus fights, well, whatnot, but the lighter weight classes were not the case as much. You know what I mean? I think a lot of those were taking taking place at the uh, in the heavy weight divisions. I would love to see, you know, the old Pride Days kind of come back. I know, you know, we're getting some of that, you know, with um, Ryzen now, but. It, at the same time, I don't know. It's just not the same as what it was back then. I, I know that they're trying to do some things, and they're you know they're trying to make some interesting matchups or whatnot. But man, those throwbacks from way back when. You know, you guys got to look at some of this footage. It's some outstanding fights, outstanding performances. I agree, man. Uh, this this has been an awesome podcast, man. I mean, when I get done with these podcasts, I almost wish there's somebody did that like cartoon fan art where they do the you know the MMA. I think they did one of like all, everybody who has been a champion holding UFC belts, like cartoon versions. Like I could see cartoon versions of all these fighters with like black eyes and like. You know, holding up signs and smiles and stuff. Like, I don't know, man. We got to remember and appreciate these characters is, is all I got to say. That That's my takeaway from this list. Do you have any takeaways before we get out of here, uh, Nick? No, like you said, all deserving, though. I mean, like you said, the, the respect that they get. And let's not forget, I mean, even the money, you know, it, it was a lot less back then uh, yeah. for some of these guys, some of these warriors. They were going out there laying it all on the line. And then the pay, I mean, a lot of, of people will still complain about fighter pay these days, and justifiably so. I mean, these guys go out there and lay it on the line. But back then, I mean, you had true gritty warriors that were in there because for the love of the sport i mean the pay wasn't that high so obviously yeah it was definitely a different scenario so from top to bottom i mean like you said i love all the fights that you had i think you can you know flip some of these around i mean there's just so many classic battles in the bantamweight division um through the years and i'm actually sad to see the the flyweights you know what the ufc's kind of doing away with the flyweight division or whatnot or and you know it's kind of getting dismantled I, it's kind of sad i like the flyweight division personally man i thought it was great so i know we're not talking about flyweights it's bantamweights and the ufc is obviously going to keep the bantamweight division and we're going to see some you know flyweights obviously stick around and move up to bantamweight as well but you know the, the more 
lighter guys we have fighting, whether it's at flyweight or bantamweight, you know, featherweights, you got to love it, man. I think the more the merrier. Excellent point. And they are different divisions, but they are closely related. And I think that just hopefully from listening to this episode, you can understand why uh, they're so closely related. Yep, no doubt. All right, before we get out of here, anything you want to plug, Nick? You want to give your Twitter handle out one more time? Anything you got going on? Plug the website. Um, we're actually going to be releasing a new version of our website soon, so check out MMAOddsBreaker.com. I'm not sure the exact launch date, but we're going to have a new upgraded version that's pretty sweet. I'm looking forward to that. Um, you could check me out on Twitter, at FightOdds, and then the website, at MMAOddsBreaker. You guys do great work, man. I look forward to it. Uh, thank you again for coming on. Again, um, m- much respect to you uh, and, and your hustle, sir. Uh, appreciate it. It's just finally great to, just, to, just to talk to you and, 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 and share with the audience more people from, uh, from, our, from our, our fine, fine community out here. Yeah, no doubt, man. I've always been a fan of yours as well. You're one of the best analysts out there. I mean, you break things down and definitely deserve a lot of respect and a lot of credit. And you're a lot more right than you are wrong in most cases, too. So much respect. As you know, it never feels that way. That's that's the golden rule of this game. But I, that means a lot coming from someone like you. I, one of the few compliments I'll take. I'll take that. Thanks, man. I, I appreciate that. No worries. Deservingly so. All right, folks. Well, before the, the dick con- sucking contest gets too out of hand, uh, <laughs> let, 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 let's let's call this quits here. Hopefully, you guys all honestly enjoyed that. Uh, again, any any you know topic thoughts or ideas, any questions you want answered on the podcast uh, at your own risk, by the way at the PYN podcast. I will get a dedicated email shortly. You know where to find me at Dan, Dan Thomas. May of course Nick Kalikas at Fight Odds as he just said. Check out his work and, and all the new stuff going down at MMAOddsBreaker.com and regardless of uh, where you place your bets make sure you place them uh, at reputable places. Place them wisely and always protect your necks.